my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. I am delighted this week to be joined not just by Sonic Architect Adam. Hello, hello. Back again, this time in a very different seat. Who did a great top five last week, it should be said, about producers. It was a beautiful episode and I very much enjoyed it. Although, real quick, uh, someone did get in touch and say that they can't believe that you didn't pick Brian Eno. I can. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it there. <laughs> uh, joining us this week, uh, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Uh, she is our Taylor Swiftologist, uh, our Olivia Rodrigo reporter, uh, pop sensation in her own right, and occasional no encore pop correspondent. It's Alice Kiernan. Hello, thank you so much for having me back again. I can't believe you've let me back in the studio. This is your first time actually in the studio. It it's is. my fir- it was first time in this studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it was a different one a long time ago. It was a different ago. one. Yeah. yeah, it's been some time, um, and it should be said as well that you have released new music. Mm-hmm. Speaking of some time. Um, why don't we take a listen to the new song right now? Uh, let's just jump straight into it. It's called Slowly Sinking Into You, and it sounds a bit like this. That is Slowly Sinking Into You by Alice Kiernan. Um, it's been some time. I mean, like I feel like you kind of come out of hibernation mm-hmm. with a brand new pop belt through every now and then. Mm-hmm. So uh, why the gap between the last song and this song? Um, this is me very much being like, why aren't you releasing music every week? Well, yeah, I suppose, like, I do everything myself. So I write everything myself. I send it off for to radio myself. I do the press release myself. I do everything. And I also work 45 hours a week as well. Um, and I fund hours. everything myself. So I have, you know, I apply for help, uh, but I haven't got it. Um, and so that all just takes a lot of time. Um, and I am getting better at like managing kind of, you know, releasing something and having something recorded in the background whilst that's happening. Um, but I think when you're, when you are completely self-managed and completely writing everything on your own um, and then working a full-time job on top of that, it kind of, there's a lot of balance and acts going on there. Yeah, I mean, like, even doing this podcast, like, you know, I, I, I'm back to work now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm back to school. You know, I was <laughs> freelancing. September, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I was free- it's the end of September. I was freelancing and now I, I've taken on a more regular gig, which is good. You know, I needed to for all kinds of reasons. But I'm already running into the, oh, shit, you know, like, to do the podcast right and to the best of its abilities. Uh, you know, sometimes you really run, really run up against it. However, I do have a sonic architect, Adam, who can help me out whenever I'm down on my luck. Um, but I guess, I mean, you're saying like 45 hours a week on top of, you know, having a life. It is, it is genuinely difficult. And it is that thing where it's like, I think for a lot of artists, you know, it's hard not to, I think some people would might, might be dismissive of that, but like, this is a craft. So it can't just be, you know, switch it on, switch it off. It's, it's, it takes time and, and a lot of passion, I'd imagine. Yeah, for sure. And it also takes unfortunately it takes money as well Mm. which I think is like a really big thing that artists don't address I feel like there's like a big elephant in the room when it comes to even like um a lot of people don't talk about how much it costs to like make a song or to get artwork or like so when you first dip your toes into that if someone tells you oh yeah you can come to my studio it's going to cost you one grand I'm like is that good (laughs) I don't know if that's good and this is the thing as well like just to step in from like I'm going to take my sonic architect hat off now I'm going to put on my producer hat because like it's not something that we really discuss it within the industry either and that's kind of a problem I think Mm -hmm. Um, because then it's like are, are you getting are you getting a subpar service for an astronomical price or are you getting an amazing service for a subpar price? Or even like when you go to set your prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have no benchmark. Yeah. 
yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's, sure. it's completely up in the air. And as someone who did the balancing act of working the two jobs, I found it very difficult, but I can, it's definitely very relatable because, you know, these things do take time and they do take money. But um, you were working with my friend Alex on this song. Alex O'Keefe, producer to the stars, legend of the game. Um, how was that experience? Oh, amazing. I, you should hear, can I curse on this? Oh yeah. Okay. You should hear <laughs> the shite I sent him. <laughs> I call them my Aldi demos. So like I, I do everything myself. I like, I have garage band and I'm coming up with everything myself and I'm writing everything, but it's like, I don't put a metro on. Like I'm just doing it. I'm like... I'm just throwing stuff onto the page. Nothing is mixed properly. Like the speakers are blowing because I haven't brought all the levels to where they're meant to go. And I'm like, turn this into a song, please. And like his ability to to be, first of all, to listen to it and go, that was really good. I'm like, you are a liar, but thank you so much. Um, <laughs> and just, he's just like unreal at how he can like turn the mush that is in my brain into something that's unbelievable. I have to ask, I have to throw to Adam immediately and say, you know, like, and you know, is this, is that the kind of, is vibes, vibe artists, is that your kind of, you know, purview? Do you, <laughs> do you like getting such an assignment or would you rather? Yeah, I do actually. And do you know what? I actually think that what you're doing is obviously the right thing. If there's, you're sending it to someone who is, you know, in charge of the production to then translate it back to the way you want. That's like a really, really good back and forth that you have, obviously, because um, just listening through your catalogue the stuff you've done with Alex is all very like it, it's all got a sound and it all very much sounds like you and I think that's really really good and it's a sign of a really good relationship there so like again it, for as from a production perspective to be able to say that's good you know already at that point it means the song's there already so there's no right or wrong way of doing things mm -hmm. I think and do you prefer for someone to come in would say just a guitar and a vibe. I love how this is my interview. Now. Um, <laughs> that was the plan all along. I, I, it's I don't know. It, it it's different strokes, I guess. Mm -hmm. I like kind of rough demos. I think is the, is what I like. Um, but everyone works so differently. You know what I mean? Like there's some people who like to write everything in the studio. Obviously, like I think there is a lot more merit and comfort to you know spending a bit of time yourself figuring it figuring it out before and like knowing what you want at the end of it before kind of bringing it to that stage where you kind of are like, make this Alex, please, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And like, did you have guides in mind or is it a case of handing it off and being like, whatever happens, happens here? Um, I tend to, I think the one I sent for this was one of Griff songs. So I tend to have a song or a few artists that I'm like, like, and again, I'm a melt. I'm like, to hear how her voice echoes on that three seconds, like, that's what I want it to sound like. And he's like, okay, cool, I got you. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I, I, I do have, like, these small individual references, and even if that reference is, like, a harmony on someone's song, and I'm like, I like that harmony, um, I, I kind of would pull from that. Yeah, it was great. I loved um, the backing vocals, particularly in this one, where mm -hmm. just, like, Every time they it's hit. almost like a little vocoder. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really really cool. Yeah. And like every time I heard them, I was like, yeah, that's just yeah yeah. That's that's the that's the little. And we kind of pumped them up a good bit as well. And like even sometimes I'm singing it, and I'm like, am I singing the harmony or am I singing the the melody? Because originally, what was the the chorus was meant to go? Knew it all. It was meant to go. I knew it all. I knew myself. I knew what people do. And then we were like, okay, that's kind of low. So sing the harmony as the melody. And then the melody became, so we flip, we inverted it basically. Yeah. Um, 
So, and but the harmonies are and all the backing vocals are kind of pushed so loudly that you're almost you can kind of flip between them at any yeah, moment. Yeah, and that's you know? what I loved about yeah. it. I just thought I thought it was fantastic. It's a great song. Really yeah, like I it. mean, given the you know, I guess like the time period between releases and also, I think you know, obviously years ago, years ago, uh, you know, I think you had more of a acoustic singer songwriter kind of thing going on. Uh, what did you want to kind of say with this sound and the song? I think it's the first song that I that we've produced that you can have a little bit of a dance to. And I remember when he came back with that guitar riff, I was literally like, like uh, we, so we actually did the first day on Zoom. We work really well on Zoom. He does screen shares and I'm in my jammies and we're working away or whatever. And I remember I just like, started like jumping up and down in my bedroom. I was like, it's so cool. No, 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 no. And whenever you make a song, like it, al- it always sounds class to you. Like, you know, like <laughs> it hasn't even been mixed or fully produced. And you're like, I love that one chord that you did. Oh my God. Yes. Um, but I think uh, when I made a song called Blue and it was obviously called Blue and very sad and I've kind of been determined to make happier sounds because I am like a really happy person. And I think between like my TikToks as well, which is like these spoken words that can be quite emotional and quite deep and all the kind of stuff. And even though I fully stand behind the things that I say on TikTok and the emotions that I feel on TikTok, I think my online uh, persona is almost quite serious. Okay. Um, and I don't think that it, um, represents me as well. This is reminiscent of the time when say, Alice and I used to work together uh, back in the Joe. Oh God, what did I say? Days. Oh God, this is this will never leave me. I, I'm sure I said it on the podcast where. Oh like, no, some, I'm flashing back to something. Yeah, Alice, like I, I think we followed each other on Twitter before we met each other and worked together. You know, um, as longtime colleagues. And I think there was a day when Alice turned around and said something like, "She was like, you know, like before I met you, like I thought you were really cool." And I was just like, what? <laughs> what do I do with this information? What the fuck? And it was a, a complete drive-by. Yeah, I was Yeah, but if someone saw down. me online, they'd be like, God, she must be very serious. Like, she must be down in her feels all the time. And I feel like I've just slightly tried to steer in a, in a different direction. But like, okay, serious, but actually she's really nice and happy is better than <laughs> I thought you were cool. And I now apparently think you're a goofball. Am so, I wrong? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, like what do you think, Adam? Can I plead the fifth? You mentioned TikTok there. I want to talk about that because like, I'm not on TikTok because I'm a 39-year-old man. Um, but you are. And yeah. you've kind of made your name on there in recent years with poetry and kind of there's been like people have actually come to you uh, to work on like you've talked about Dublin and you've talked about, you know, kind of this you're referring to it as a kind of melancholic, more serious thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess it is. But uh, for anyone who has somehow missed these viral sensations that come along every now and then, can you take us into what it is that you do on there and the process of that? So TikTok came out and I was like looking at the app and I was like, oh, I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. And then I realized that it was kind of the first app in a long time that sounds were like the main focus, even though it's videos and there's a lot of editing, like its focus is sound. And I can't be someone who like, writes music and writes poems and all that kind of stuff and not like try and make something out of that. Um, so I just kind of would use my, I've always like written poems and stuff because I just see them as lyrics that don't have a song yet. Um, so I have like loads of stuff in the background constantly. So I just started doing these voiceovers and putting together clips of my life um, and people really resonated with them. And the one that I suppose was the the peak or the well, it's not it's not even the peak but the one that like really got a lot of attention was um my my one about Dublin which has the line I love my home but my home doesn't love me back um and yeah from that then like I started 
like places start reaching out being like oh like you know we're a brand we're a London brand but we're you know we're all from Ireland like could you write a poem to go with our necklaces and all that kind of stuff or like I got to write for like the Epic Museum for like some of their campaigns and stuff like that and um, it was really weird because I suppose I've worked on music for so long for so long <laughs> I'm writing songs when I was like 12 like gigging in pubs when I was 16 that was so illegal like I shouldn't have been there and like working so hard and like trying to get radio play and like trying to get gigs and then it's you don't get to decide what does well yes it's crazy like I didn't try with TikTok like I really was just getting stuff out of my system but like it, it to me, it was just wild that I could whack up a poem that I was like, okay, now, thank God that's out in the world. And then I log back on and it's on 900,000 views. Like, that's fucking like, nuts. It's nuts. Is, like, there, is there any frustration, though, with that, where you're like, I, I, I want the music to do this? And, you know, like, would you swap one for the other? Because it's two different processes. It's two different processes, but I think, like, to be honest with you, like, the comments I've got on TikTok, I don't get with music. Like, okay. Such know, as? Like, like what, what is the sentiment? oh my God, I needed to hear this. Oh my God, you've put what I was thinking into words. Like, oh my God, I thought I was alone in feeling this. And so no, I don't think I would change it. Mm -hmm. um, not that I don't have the ability to do that with music, but again, the process is a lot longer. And so I can react on things on TikTok a lot quicker than I can with music. So, you know, it was, I think the Dublin poem came out at the same time as an, um, the eviction ban was lifting. So a lot of people like resonate with that I couldn't get a song out in that time to to, to you kind of in order to I mean there's people who write Christmas songs in July in order to get it out on time do you know what I mean like you can't really react with music the way that you can with TikToks and poems okay um, yeah I, like it is it's I'm, I'm not on TikTok but from what I understand like there is a uh a huge participation element to it, like more so than other social media platforms. Like it's, you can't really be passive on it. I mean, you can, but like if you're going to use it, use it, you know, you are creating stuff for it all the time. And, you know, I guess to get that reaction is, you know, probably very overwhelming. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't know what to say. Cheers. Um, you know, have a nice day. Yeah, it was weird. I've never really got overwhelmed with social media attention bar... Uh, that RTE put the Dublin one out and um, all the comments are amazing. It was like, maybe if you got a better paid job, <laughs> you'd be able to afford a house. Oh yeah, hang um, on a minute till I just go and like do that. Yeah. Um, I do get some good comments. Um, one of them was her accent does my head in. Um, I, I presume the person didn't think I would <laughs> I would see these comments. It's a very neutral accent, I think. Um, very neutral. Uh, another one was, um, that's a shy attempt at splitting the G. Because um, I had a sup of Guinness. In oh, fuck <laughs> off. Boring. Boring, boring, boring. On like a poem about like the housing crisis. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so I, I tend not to get overwhelmed because my hate comments are really funny. Yeah. They're very funny. I mean, everyone's a critic, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, lastly, before we move on to the news, and I should say our top five this week, by the way, is top five intense fandoms, which I think is going to suit really well because, you know, Alice's past as a poptimist, there's stuff in there, you know? There's lived experiences, which I'm looking forward to hearing. Um, I know if you talk to someone who's just put out a song, they really don't like it when you say what's next. But I, just because of the nature of what you do and, you know, the kind of gap between releases and doing other things and working 45 hours a week, etc. I'm just curious as to like, you know, will it be like, like, do you already have something in play or are you going to take some time? Like, like, how do you intend to kind of go from here music, uh, music wise yeah no I plan to release another song in the next couple of months um, and I'm also going to be going to be playing a gig in 
Wigwam on October 8th as part Excellent. of Sam's Collective. Tremendous. October 8th, Wigwam. Be there, everybody. It's Alice Kiernan. Right. Uh, Alice, we are doing top five intense fandoms on the show later on. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It's a combined top five. We've, we chose combined because I felt that some of them are going to be very obvious. But that does not mean that there's not stuff to talk about. But I wanted to avoid repetition and crossover. And actually, between the three of us, as it turned out, we've managed to kind of come together with a list that I think, I think it's pretty strong. Pretty good. I think yeah. it's pretty strong. I'd be inclined to agree. But for now, uh, let's get into some news stories, shall we? Start spreading the news. All right, I just took a, a hit of sparkling water there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gotta get my fix. I do. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's refreshing, guys. That's amazing. It's absolutely refreshing. Anyway, um, news this week. Uh, I thought I'd start with uh, Louise Redknapp. Louise Redknapp is apparently a decent human being. I, I'll have to air, end my, my decades-long grudge against her because she did a terrible cover of Stuck in the Middle with You. Anybody remember that? Or am I too old? Uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, I'm too old. I was working, like, I was in work today, and I mentioned, like, I, I mentioned, like, the, the murder of Jill Dando, because there's a Netflix documentary out about that, and there was someone in the room who was like, who, who is that, what is that? And I was like, come on. Alice is looking at me now. <laughs> Dave, I don't know who that I is. Feel like, I feel like our time together in work was just you mentioning things, or, to be honest with you, me mentioning things, and you being like, who's that? Or me yeah. being like, who's that? What she's getting at, everyone, is that I'm old and that she isn't. Um, but hang on a second. Jill Dando was... Guys, she was the golden girl of British television. UK British television. She was the Diana of, of you know, news. Just say and who she was. She was, she was a BBC <laughs> presenter. She was shot dead on her front doorstep. It's a horrible crime. How have none of you heard of this? I watched the documentary. Okay. <laughs> Louise Redknapp has said that Eternal are not getting back together. Anyone remember Eternal? Of course you don't. That, that was the only thing that rang a bell. I was like, Louise Redknapp, no. Yeah. Eternal, yes. Long story short, it's a row over LGBTQ plus rights. They were due to get back together, but two members of the group refused to play a number of Pride events and LGBTQ plus festivals as part of the tour. And Louise Redknapp uh, made a point of putting that out there and saying that, you know, she didn't say fuck them, but, you know, I'm going to say fuck them. I am also going to yeah, yeah. concur, yeah. Yeah. Um, she put no out, use. like, you know, you mentioned social media, like, she put out, like, you know, like a, an all inclusive flag on there. And you can imagine mm-hmm. what the comments were like. What is it? What is it with social media? Like, I just find that there's no, no matter what the story, it could be like, you know, dog learns how to make ice cream and gives it away for free. And there's probably going to be people <laughs> in the comments being like, well, fucking, you know. Oh, to charge 10 quid. Oh, I'm lactose intolerant. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. what about the homeless Christ? Yeah. It's just like, Jesus. He's a bad capitalist, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's another thing. Like, I've noticed a lot of that doing the rounds where it's just like, it's that thing of like, there is nothing you can say anymore that won't piss somebody off. Mm-hmm. I like going to the park on a Sunday with my husband. Well, some of us don't actually have husbands. <laughs> some of us don't have parks. Think about that before there's, you tweet. There's this new thing on TikTok where like, if, like, if someone's doing like, here's how to make these peanut butter cupcakes. And so people will just comment, what if I'm allergic to peanut butter? But they do it for every recipe video with the most <laughs> obvious ingredients. It's very funny. But didn't they do, it was like a three bean soup. It's like, how do I make this without beans? <laughs> I mean, like, like what? water, drink a glass of water. Like. Some people are obviously trolling, but you do find these psychopaths who genuinely... See, it's hard to tell. Do you it mean? is hard to tell. That's when it's good, when it's yeah. hard to tell. There's no tone. There's no it's tone It's hard to tell. Online. And even like the stuff where it's like, you know, there's the whole Twitter account dedicated to like, you know, things that didn't happen. And you're like... Which of these are people being sincere and which of them are people who are just trying to do the, you know, the, do the meme thing of it? Like, I, I, I can't tell anymore. My brain is completely broken. Would TikTok be good for me, Alice, do you think? Or do you think I should stay away from it? What's your screen time currently? 
Oh, um, my phone tells me on a weekly basis that I, I, I'm using it less, but it could be because I, you know, I'm in front of a fucking laptop yeah, you're all day. Now, yeah. Because there is that, you know, that thing of like, you know, oh, I've finished my work for the day and then to close this screen and open up this the other. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. No, What's your screen time like? Um, like, maybe five or six hours. A day. Yeah, but but what I've heard is that, like, you know, when you're listening to a podcast, that counts as screen time. So when, anytime your phone is active, ah, it's no. screen time. Apparently. That's what I'm telling myself. You're going okay. for a run, your phone's in your pocket, you've got earphones on, that's bullshit. Yeah. That's that's nonsense. But I think it's because it's, it's active. It's running in the background. Do you know what I mean? So it's counting that as screen time. No, so screen time is looking at a screen. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Adam looks at screens when Formula One is on. I do. You're a Can't big, get me away from it. You're a big fan. I am, yeah. How do you feel? I didn't realise that they turned into like, you know, they do like gigs now. This was a, this has been a thing for since the 90s. You're joking. No, I'm not. So no. I saw this this week and I thought, oh, this would be wild. Adam can, you know, I'll surprise Adam with this. Stormzy is set to perform at the 2024 Formula One British Grand Prix. The grime artist will take to the stage at Silverstone on Friday, July the 5th, as part of an unprecedented four-day festival lineup. I think what they're doing now is they're capitalizing on this new found fandom of Formula One and they're like really kind of milking the, the Silverstone thing because this the the whole Silverstone festival thing, it's been, in, like I said, it's been around since the 90s. Eddie Jordan was the one who started it actually. We have an Irishman to thank for it um, because the uh, Jordan F1 team were based out of Silverstone and he's famously nuts. So he had a band and essentially I think he just wanted to use it as an excuse for people to hear his band. They played and then it kind of got legs after that. And, you know, it's a very high value industry. It's very like, you know, expensive um, ticket, ticketed event to go to. And like, it's a rich person's game. Very much so. Very much so. It's very, have you ever like, been? No, it? I haven't, but I would definitely. I'm um, surprised that you haven't been. In fairness, my fandom is only kind of, Re-engaged. Re-engaged in like the last two years. Is it because of Drive to Survive? It is 100% because Alice, of Drive to Survive. have you watched Drive to Survive on Netflix? No, and, but I see I'm one of those people who I won't watch it because everyone else is watching it and then I'll watch it in two years' time and I'll be like, have you guys heard of <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I still have yet to get around to it, but like, it's like crack, it seems, because yeah. everyone I know yeah, who's watched great. it everyone. is now a Formula One yeah. fan. And it has, yeah, it's done massive business in the States and that kind of stuff. But I didn't realize that they were doing the music tie-in. So Stormzy, mm-hmm. Pete Tong, and Rudimental are the first names. Of course. The the biggest <laughs> names in sports music beds. Yeah. Look at Sky Sports and you can guarantee Rudimental are going to mm. be on every fucking montage you mm. watch. So there was an event this year. There was, yeah. Saw performances from Calvin Harris. Calvin Harris is the big ticket, yeah. Tom Grennan. Yeah. Cash Burns. Yeah. And Black Eyed Peas. Listen. Wow, eh? We like we like the diversity in so Silverstone, hang on. you know. Is this happening like during the race? No, it happens it's I attached think, to as part of an yeah, overall it, weekend it ha- package. It happens bullshit? afterwards in the evening, I believe. I believe. But like the weekend it's it's like so oddly structured. Like a Friday is there's two rounds of practice, but there's an hour gap in between and it finishes at like four o'clock in the day. And then Again, on Saturday, it's the exact same thing where it's like you have a practice in the morning, starts at 10 o'clock and it finishes about four o'clock in the day. The race doesn't start until three o'clock and then can go until like four or five on the Sunday. But um, I believe now I could be wrong here that Silverstone is the only one that has camping. Okay, sounds about right. I know they do it like in um, NASCAR and IndyCar and stuff like that in the States, but um, I believe it's the only one on the, the Formula One calendar that actually like you can go from Thursday night. 
and it's a four day. You need to do this and report back. I would love to do it if I could afford it. Are you uh, the kind of person who shouts at the television when you watch F1? Yeah, 100%, yeah. When your Ferrari boys aren't doing very well. Well, they're, listen, we're on a comeback. This Thanks. isn't a Formula One podcast. Uh, Alice, uh, <laughs> the idea of camping at a thing, have you been to a festival have recently? Have I been? To, yes, I've been to a recently, festival. Recently? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say ever. <laughs> they have these things called festivals, Alice. Some and, uh, people haven't. I believe Peter McGann being one of them. He's never been to. F- no, that's a lie. I met him at a festival once. <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ! Shout out to Peter McGann. We got a we, we got a very nice message from a listener recently, and they signed off by saying, "P.S. Please have more Peter McGann on the show. We will. We definitely will." He's welcome back anytime. Um, yeah, festival. Uh, I, know, I, I, I know you've been to, I think we worked at one together, possibly. Yeah, my last days. festival was Primavera last year. How was that? Um, I enjoyed it. Now, there was Primavera 2022, there's a lot of drama. I don't know if you recall. Mm-hmm. This was the overbooked one, wasn't it? The first post-COVID one. Yeah, and, yeah, and it was yeah. like, the, so So a lot. there was two weekends. Um, so I actually only went to weekend two, so a lot of it had been sorted out okay, um, great. by the time I went. But there was like, it was real, like there, there wasn't enough water, there wasn't enough toilets. Um, and I feel like I'm just hearing that a lot about festivals recently, yep. like queues for food. Um, I was in, I was at Slane this year and the oh. queues for food were horrific. Maybe like, we'll talk about Slane later on in the show. Who knows? There might be a reason. <laughs> but um, yeah, had you been to Slane before ever? I went no, once. No, yeah. it was my first time. Getting out, getting home was a nightmare. Oh my God, it was amazing. I don't know how. I was back in Julianstown at half twelve. Oh, you live nearby. Yeah, that's that's fine. You're from nearby. She's, yeah. she's from Meath, you know. Where you're from? No. <laughs> Not having it. Move on. He hates when I do, when no. I do this. I, in fairness, though, like, it's either, if it seems to be you either have one experience of Slane getting home yeah. or you have another experience. Oh, yeah. And well, their I, friends got home at four o'clock. Like. I was... You were fast asleep. <laughs> I, the year Foo Fighters played, I think it was like 2011, maybe 2012. No, it would be after that. It would be like 2014, 15. Um, I got caught in a massive rain shower. It started raining in the middle of the Foo Fighters gig and it never stopped. And I had to walk back to the buses there was no buses that were like going near me, so I got dropped to Santry to then go back, completely double back on myself. I don't think I got home to like four or five. Was minutes. it oh. worth it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you love the and Foo I, Fighters. I love yeah. going to see Foo Fighters. I had a great time, but I nearly got hypothermia. Not yeah. worth it. I, I saw you too back in two thousand one, and uh, when they did two weekends, I, I, I went to the first one. I think oh, I remember vividly to this day, by the way, when that concert was announced because like the, the demand was so high, they had to do a second weekend, which had never been done before, and I remember vividly seeing a front page uh, photograph on the Sunday Times that's right guys my parents bought the Sunday Times erudite that they were um, at the time it's the Daily Mail these days I keep telling my mother <laughs> stop stop buying the Daily Mail uh, anyway um, what was I going to say there was a photograph and it was an incredible photograph it was clearly taken from inside like a ticket booth and so you could see the back of like the ticket seller's head and there was a, like a mob of people and they clearly ran out of tickets and there was one man and he his face was the, like the most twisted purity of, <laughs> of contorted anger as he like did like a, like a big like fist up in the air and like roaring his face into this because in, like face this like man, a bag of strawberries this like. man was so upset that he wasn't going to see you two. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> like, I'd love to Crazy interview. Crazy fans, am I right? If, yeah. yeah, intense fans, uh, which leads me nicely to my next story. Also, if that man is listening, get, get in touch. We want to interview you. Um, yes, uh, we will get to intense fandom soon, but uh, Adele, how do you feel about Adele? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a person what person who mean? signs her record deal. I think she's very boring. 
I know her personality is is you know very kind of whatever, but I think the music is dull, dull, dull. Okay. You don't. You, 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 <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> I haven't given it much thought. I kind of wish you'd have had that past because I would have had that. You have the running order. No, you the... did. But I didn't know you were going to ask me what I thought about Adele. I have no. I have. I have time for Adele. Like, yeah. Alice, this podcast goes places. Okay, <laughs> this is what we do. We put people on the spot. Don't expect the unexpected when you. If you want to give me a political corner. answer because you fear that one day you may cross paths, that's fine. You know. Yeah, I'm not going to let that at that one. Look, I just want it on record. You know, I, I want your cowardice on record here. Okay, I personally think that her music is pretty boring. Come and get me, Adele. <laughs> Uh, she has explained how her security team have had to remove some, quote, fucking raucous audience members at her shows. This is why I find this wild, because she's talked about this before, how fans get really leery at her at her gigs. But I'm like, the is music... Is this because the fans stood up? Was that, is that this story? No, that's a different one. Okay. Um, but she's doing her Vegas residency, and a, a fan proposed to her. Uh, she said she's no longer going to take selfies with them because she's worried about COVID-19. Um, I feel like that's coming back, by the way, in terms of, like, gigs being cancelled. So keep an eye on that. Um, Harbinger of Doom Dave over here. <laughs> um, she said last weekend's shows were fucking raucous because it was Mexican independence. That sounds fun. There were lots of celebrations going on outside. It was party atmosphere. She goes, when there is a party atmosphere, it makes everyone want to party, really. Excellent <laughs> insight there from party correspondent yeah. Adele. Uh, Her so, gigs are sit-down gigs, though. Oh, I mean, that's... Do you know? Like, it's just... But, is it just people? Because, like, it, it, you know, the Las Vegas residency thing, is it in one of the casinos? I'm, again, kind of sure about this uh, I think so no I don't want to like <clears throat> get no, I, the wrong information I think it is or it's certainly in some kind of resort I think oh. it's a casino okay well like, she's getting a lot of money for but it. the whole thing is with like those casinos they ply people with drink yeah. to keep them at the tables like mm-hmm. like it, you'd have to ply me full of fucking drink <laughs> to an Adele show <laughs> I drink wine. <laughs> I don't, but I will tonight. Uh, so many people had to leave the show because they were acting so wild. They were being disruptive. It was crazy. There was one lady at the front whose boob kept falling out. Go to, to hear the word boob. Make I, come, under, I make understand how that's disruptive, make but I don't think it falls under fucking rock. Tabloid word boob making a comeback there. Uh, she must have been sunbathing until late because she came in basically in a bikini and a cover. She was sitting in the front row and very drunk, but it's like she thought no one could see. And every time she went over to get more tequila, her boob would fall out. So I couldn't really look at the front row so some perverted uh, insight from Adele there I just like how many times have you said the word boob on this podcast in the that's past? probably the first oh. and last uh, <laughs> in three years I've never heard of unleashing of times I, like, why would I say it like it's not this is it's not that kind of show like, this is not you know, PG-13 show guys I wouldn't go that far like we curse a lot but I mean no 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 we, we don't objectify over here that's not who it's we are part. it is a body part that's correct that's, okay, we're gonna stop this you, conversation you are, you are medically accurate <laughs> I went to my doctor a week ago. He was wearing shorts again. <laughs> he only wears shorts. This is a true story. And I, yeah, he, he's a hell of a character, let me tell you. But it certainly sounds like it, yeah. yeah wearing yeah. shorts in September in the a middle wild of the storm. Man. I made the mistake when I was leaving of telling him that we were doing a podcast about Russell Brand and work, and he started giving me his opinions about oh, the situation. Oh, no. It was like, no. It was like, no. Sw- Dave is switching practice immediately. He's like, no, no I'm, never, oh, I'm never leaving this guy. He's great. All right. He's great. Okay, okay. He, if you're listening. Non-problematic fave. Love it. Yeah, no, he's good. He's, he's helped me out over the years, but I was like, I have to go. <laughs> I was like, I have to go to work. Like, I've been like, here three hours, you, man. I was like, don't you have patience to see? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. One last news story, and this, you know, ties into our top five upcoming, because, spoiler alert, this person is almost definitely going to feature. Um, it was a big week this week for the uh, humble game of American football. It certainly was, Dave. Why was that? I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's because Taylor Swift went to an NFL game. Alice, did you see this? Uh, no, Dave. Uh, I, that, I never saw that at all. Please tell me more. What, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? I invite you. You can't on. invite me on to talk about 
fandoms knowing my history. Oh, so that's what we call in the business. And then as be like, a, have you heard the Taylor Swift It's called news? a link, okay? <laughs> if Matt Cooper on the last word asked me to like to lead, I'm hardly going to go, well, Matt, you moron. <laughs> of course. Oh, I dare you to do that and see what happens. I'd never be asked back. <laughs> yeah. Much like someone's never getting asked back onto this Oh, part. wowie. <laughs> Wait till I read the song in a year's time, then All I'll right, be back. Fine, fine. Tell, tell us what happened then. Without looking at the running order, seeing as you no, see, <laughs> saw you sneak a glance there, seeing as you're so don't eat off. Yeah, what she happened? showed up at the at the game and sat with his mom. What game? The and a the football game. Who was playing? His team. What team were they? The team that he plays for. And who's he? Uh, Travis Kelsey. That's correct. Yeah, see, got yes. something right. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> now, do you feel better now? Do you, <laughs> do you, do you feel better now? <laughs> <laughs> she went to she went to the Kansas City Chiefs game amidst the rumored romance with Travis Kelsey. Now uh, I have two clips. Uh, yes. One is Travis Kelsey and his brother, who's also a fo- American footballer, I believe. I couldn't tell you. Honestly. They have a podcast together. The pop sensation was spotted at the Kansas City Chiefs versus Chicago Bears game, and she was spectating from a suite with Travis Kelsey's mother. Uh, are they an item, etc.? The first. I think the first person to hear from in this one should be um, former co-host of No Encore, Cullum O'Regan. So, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I hesitate to say I'm excited because I am a 35-year-old man. But, in terms of a Venn diagram, I am the intersection here. These are two of my keenest interests colliding. This is... Io Shirai going out with Larry the Butcher. Shout out, Larry. Um, And even as a 35-year-old man, you know what? To borrow from the younger generation, I'm shipping them. I'm shipping them hard. Two good-looking, goofy people at the tops of their games. I love the memes. I love the videos of women winding their blokes up by saying that Taylor's putting Travis Kelsey on the map. I love the idea of Swifties taking over the NFL because, like, they're obsessive. Give them a fortnight, they'll fix Zach Wilson. They'll figure out how to stop the Philadelphia Eagles on fourth and one. They will change the game. And most of all, I love for once being ahead of the curve. Because I don't need the help of Google to get references with this one. I'm in my element. I hope they are too. That was great. Thank you, Colin Morrigan. Come back anytime. Alice, uh, how do you feel about this situation? First of all, Dave, thank you so much for asking. You're um, welcome. <laughs> we've established boundaries now, have we? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I, you know, it, his jersey sales have gone up 400%. 400%. Do you know what I mean? His his podcast came out and they did a whole Q&A, Q&A with questions from Swifties. Um, smart, I have to say, very smart. Oh, it's Ingratiate yourself to the fan base. Are they actually gone out with each other, or is this a stunt? I don't know. What, like, uh, I'd say maybe they they you know went on a date that day. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, it's all it all happened very quickly as well. Like it was like there was like a rumor that he gave her his number, and then she was at the game within a week. And she's rumored to be going to the game on Sunday as well. Appar- apparently, there's another game. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's giving PR, if you will. Yes. Um, when you first saw the imagery, what did you think? Like, I mean, were you taken aback at all or? Not really. Look, <laughs> given Matty Healy, given it all, nothing really shocks me anymore. Yeah, I need your opinion on that as well, because we haven't spoken to you since that 
whole situation occurred? Were yeah. you were you approving or disapproving of their uh, summer fling? Uh, um, Did they even have a summer fling? D- disapproving. Mm. Um, yeah, he's, he doesn't seem like a good egg. Um, so I, I wasn't too impressed. Um, and also she had kind of, it was very, the whole thing was weird. Like she, apparently she was inside of a relationship and then it was, out of all, out of all people. This is the thing. Imagine being, imagine being able to have anyone you want and come from Maddie Healy. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent point, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was imagining that for a second. Anyone. You can have anyone you want in the world. Yeah. It wouldn't um, be Maddie Healy. So yeah. Who's no, the but, female equivalent of Maddie Healy? Oh God, Grimes. I mean, talented maybe. but annoying. I suppose. Like, like I'm trying to think. Or yeah, um, was Taylor Swift? Do like I, I didn't. I saw the picture in, in passing. She wasn't wearing like an NFL hat, like Rob Lowe. Was she? She was wearing um like the like a like a hoodie. His a merch. His merch. It's merch again. And then he wore her merch. Oh, listen, this is. Um, and then they zoomed away together in a little convertible. This is the woman who in Miss Americana talks about how she needs to be in um, bulletproof cars at all times. Um, so something ain't adding up for me. You know okay. what I mean? Let's uh, hear from Travis Kelsey himself, though. This is from the podcast. Let me get the name of it so I can give it the plug that it clearly needs. Uh, New Heights is the name of the podcast that he hosts with his brother and fellow NFL player, I was right, Jason Kelsey. So here's what the lads had to say. We got to talk about it. Yeah, my personal life that's not so personal. Yeah, well. <laughs> I did this to myself, Jason. I know this. Well, Trav, um, how does it feel that uh, Taylor Swift has finally put you on the map? <laughs> I just thought it was awesome how everybody in the suite had nothing but great things to say about her. You know, the friends and family. She looked amazing. Everybody was talking about her in great light. And on top of that, the day went perfect for Chiefs fans, of course. We scripted it all, ladies and gentlemen. But um, <laughs> to see the slow motion chest bumps, to see the high fives with mom, to see how, you know, Chiefs Kingdom was all excited that she was there, that sh- was absolutely hysterical. It was definitely a game I'll remember. That's for damn sure. And then we just slid off in the getaway car at the end. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Everyone, literally everyone, even Bill Belichick. He hasn't Dude, talked much about me about outside that? of, you know, game weeks that we've played, but he made sure to remind me that that's the best catch I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Dude, that was a great line by Bill. Hilarious. And then you got Coach Reed telling everybody he's Cupid. He's been manifesting this the whole time. He's the one that set us up. Is there any truth to this? Ah. I don't I don't even know how to answer that. I know that he had met the Swift family before, so I don't know. He could have been uh, in the background the whole time. Dude, Coach Reed playing matchmaker? Who knew Cupid was so big? <laughs> Shout out to Taylor for coming through and seeing me rock the stage. Kinda kinda said a whole load of nothing, you know what I mean? Why is he playing coy? Yeah, is this a relationship? Who knows? To go to Cullum's point earlier on, do you think Taylor Swift is big enough that she could actually make a genuine influence on the NFL beyond yeah. this? Yeah, 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 yeah. So anything apparently, that she, yeah, go on. Apparently, the NFL want to um, expand their fan base and have more women um, at games and all that kind of stuff. And what better way to do that than have Taylor Swift? at games. I keep calling them matches. Games. Um, and they changed their TikTok bio to be Taylor Swift was here. I don't know what day was it. The You know, the 20th of the 9th or whatever. You know, they've changed their TikTok bio to mention Taylor Swift. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely think there's something involved in that way. It is wild to see, like, you know, 
dyed in the wool NFL fans get really pissed off about this. Like, I mean, I subscribe to like the Athletic, which is like a football. I, I primarily for football, like that's what I look at it for. But it's owned by the New York Times, and like you get American content kind of coming through. And there was a story about Taylor Swift going to the NFL, and I knew straight away. I just saw like the number of comments, and like the, and these comments kind of average in like the occasional couple of hundreds. But this had over a thousand, and of course, it was people being like, "What the fuck is this? You know, this is an e news." Because they're not going to be able to get tickets anymore because Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> are going to get the tickets because they know how to get tickets. Uh, I feel like to end this new section, I feel like we will talk about Taylor later on the show. Spoilers, not spoilers. How do you talk about fandoms without talking about Swifties? That It will come up. But uh, the Eras Tour concert film is going to be in cinemas next month. Will you be going? Uh, I won't be going because I will be going to the tour itself. Incredible. So I think I would regret going to see the film. That's fair. Maybe we'll talk about your ticket uh, buying journey later on in the show. But for now, it is time to get into our top five intense fandoms. Adam, how would you classify an intense fandom? I wanted to call this toxic fandoms, but Alice thought that was too harsh. It was too harsh. In terms of fandoms, um, like classifying intense one, I think it's like devotion. Devotion, yeah. But it's like devotion in the form of ticket sales, merch sales online presence and identity being intrinsically linked to this act or person or whoever it may be and just like kind of that parasocial obsession i think is is, is where we're going with this um from the, the the looking into it that i've done over the past couple of days it certainly has appeared to be the common thread anyway it's like a parasocial thing um where the fan, like, you know, in kind of the ba- the worst cases, say, the fan in question may feel like the artist is beholden to them for some reason. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Dave and Alice. You'll hear it as I go, but Alice, yeah, general kind of definition thereof. Like, what what is it for you? Yeah, I I see it as, like, dedication, maybe. And I do think it is, it is a, a lot of it is linked to money. And a lot of it is linked to identity and... Uh, what I kind of the conclusion I came with came 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 to uh, was community, and it's this. It's like community on drugs, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like usually in a fandom, like you are in a community. If you go to a gig in the three arena, like you are all on the same boat, you all know the songs. But I think in these intense fandoms, that community goes a step beyond that. A lot of that becomes online. A lot of that becomes like kind of bits that you'll do at a concert, be that like something you shout back to the artist or dances that you do or trends that you do. Um, so it's kind of like this really intense community that yeah, you create. It's not, it's not a casual fan situation, just turning up for the show. So when I went to 3 and see picture this five nights in a row, was I part You've of never the... mentioned that, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> she got me back. <laughs> she got me back. Okay, fine. You can you can come back on the show anytime. You showed some metal there. I like it. Um, but when I, yeah, so you, you may have heard, listener, I, I, I once went to see the same band five nights in a row and I wrote a really great piece of music journalism about it. That's fine. It's on joe.e if you want to go check it out. And there's a podcast that I picked back in the No Encore Archives called Picture That. But uh, yeah, I guess I was a member of the community when I, when I showed that level of dedication, yeah. whether unwittingly or not. Yeah. They don't feel that way, though. They don't like me. But number five is all about an artist that does like their fans. And we'll, like I said, this is a combined list. The three of us together came up with it. Let's have number five, please, Adam. Yes. Have we got any little monsters in tonight? <laughs> Why do you 
call them little monsters? Why are they um, the little monsters? Well, right after I wrote uh, Bad Romance and the video came out and we had all this amazing choreography in the video and uh, I started to do the monster ball. Uh, which was named the Monster Ball after the fame monster. Yeah. And uh, in the audience, every night, the fans would go, ah, like this. <laughs> and they would particularly do it during Bad Romance, and they would do the choreography with me. And then it, it sort of was interesting because they would do it the whole show. And I, used to, I just started saying, oh, you little monsters <laughs> on stage. <laughs> and then... Uh, it just sort of stuck. And it's you're mama beautiful. monster, mother monster. My, I am mother It is, of course, uh, Lady Gaga, or as I like to call her, Lady Gaga. Gaga. <laughs> um, I was really you're hoping you'd leave with that. I am one of those. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an annoying person. Uh, Little Monsters is the name of the Lady Gaga fans. Uh, the hardcore, the stands. We're talking about stands here, guys. Uh, before I proceed with my literature that I've ripped from the internet, uh, Alice, how do you feel about Lady Gaga? Uh, I like Lady Gaga. I wasn't a little monster by any... <laughs> by by, by <laughs> choice, by trade. <laughs> I wasn't a little monster by any means, but um, I remember when Poker Face came out, I bought the music video and had it on my iPod Nano, and I watched the music video again and again and again. That's um, a wonderful time capsule right there. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I have uh, a lot of time for her. She hasn't toured in a while though, has she? Um, was there not a recent? I can't remember. I, I, if Jen Gannon is listening, I'm sorry for not knowing the tour dates, Jen. I do actually have a contribution from Jen uh, on this very subject because she's a she's a big Gaga. Because she did a few Aviva like tours, like she did multiple tours. She's in been the around. Aviva. I yeah. I feel like the, it's been an interesting career, and like you know, she's definitely moving to movies as well, and mm -hmm. she can you know hit and miss for me in the movies. I thought she was fantastic in A Star Is Born because mm. I forgot she was Lady Gaga. Yeah. Do you get me? Yeah. I believed her. Yes. Yeah, yes, she convinced I you. I didn't look at her and was like, like, oh, that's yeah, Lady Gaga. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's fair. And yeah, that's the perfect way to put it because like it was fully believable in that role and she was genuinely great. Then I saw her in House of Gucci and I thought she was horrendous. So jury's still out for me, you know? I haven't seen the film. It's not great. Me neither. It's not great. Um, but yeah, some people suggest that, because we're talking about, I, I think, you know, not in every case, but I think, you know, certainly in this one, um, it, it, it's not unmodern to be a hardcore fan of an, of an artist like that's been going like you know Adam what did you suggest to me that I said could be the the patient zero of this uh, I can't even remember now at this point Beatlemania oh yes oh, of the course Beatles, of yes. course yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have the Beatles in this top five because I said they should be the patient zero because like you have to go all the way back to Beatlemania yeah. and maybe before that there was something but that was kind of the big worldwide media driven you see the fans you see the scores of people screaming yeah. when these guys play on a rooftop or emerge from a store and or having merch as well Having merch, you, like, as in yeah. like non-official merch and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like toothbrushes or something. People I don't styling know. themselves as them. Yeah. You have your favorite one, like yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like mm -hmm. it was real. I feel like that's probably the patient zero. I think yeah, and it was like you said. You said it best there because it's the first kind of musical act that ha that got, I suppose, that level of mainstream success. Like because it was kind of there were televisions and a lot of people had them at that point they weren't like this you know incredibly luxury item I mean um, Elvis did have of course people again I'm, I'm thinking of like I mean yeah, yeah people yeah, screaming yeah. and passing out at the gigs I'm thinking of that kind of level of stuff that you would see through your TV screen and it'd be like mm -hmm. you know in news being like now Elvis Presley played last weekend and this woman fainted like it's just like that kind of weird stuff that you just don't get but I, like yeah. we're speaking about this in a very modern context though so like I think Lady Gaga in some respects the modern online, the terminally online stand, if you will, I think that 
Gaga kind of birthed that to a degree, and that's kind of what's been posited. So there's an advice article um, that says, you know, she was obviously you know, made a breakthrough with Just Dance and very quickly garnered a big fan base and, you know, had a sense of community. But it wasn't until the summer of 2009, it says here, that these aforementioned kids were given the name Little Monsters, which she began calling out to the crowd during her live shows, giving a whole fandom a nickname of sorts was already commonplace in K-pop, but Gaga was the first to do it on such a grand scale in a Western context. Using it to describe the way fans would writhe, scream and dance in the pits of her high-octane performances. Naming her fans did two things. First, it created an us-and-them narrative. I think that's kind of what you were getting into earlier on there, Alice. Um, You were either a true Gaga fan or you weren't. And second, it grouped them all together in a way that made sense online for a generation of kids who existed on the internet being a little monster meant more than going to a few gigs. It meant having a support network of like-minded people from around the world that you could interact with like an extended family. So, I mean, like, that's a very wholesome viewpoint. Yeah. But I do think that you would see instances of toxicity arising as well because there is that, Adam kind of mentioned, like, the sense of ownership. And also, I think in certain cases you see where, like, fans mobilizing to attack critics or, like, you know, if Gaga doesn't get 10 out of 10 or gets a bad review, you'll see people just kind of piling on. And she's not necessarily directing that herself, but I think that people take it upon themselves to defend their... Yeah, get in the corner of their... Of their you know, idle, so to speak. Yeah, I mean... And then you have, like, the introduction of, like, uh, fan-voted awards. And, like, that starts to get really ugly. Um, And I feel like stuff like that kind of encourages those fans to pit themselves against each other because literally the VMAs or whoever are almost telling them to pit themselves against each other as well. Yeah. And it would always be those big acts with the fan bases that are nominated for those awards as well you know i think you see it sometimes like even in ireland like you see at the choice prize if they have that kind of public vote one you'll often find like a niall horn or a dermot kennedy might say hey listen vote for chasing abby don't vote for me because you know i'll just fucking storm this um i think it'd be funnier if they did say do vote for me (laughs) (laughs) i need this i need this i'm dermot kennedy and i need to like i want the irish i I got the grammy i got the grammy but that doesn't mean anything to me Yeah, I mean, like, there's, there was a professor who wrote a book called Lady Gaga and the Sociology of Fame and dedicated an entire university course syllabus to her influence. It's that big for people. Yeah, but she was fascinating when she first came out. Like, she was odd in the best way possible. Like, like, even if you didn't like her, you were like, what is she going to do? Do you know what I mean? Like, the meat dress and the award where the what was the one was it the Brits or the VMAs where she did the thing where she stabs herself and the blood starts coming out of her on the piano and like during that performance like she was mad um so I it was almost maybe it was easy for people to become obsessed her because she was just so fascinating she was the only one kind of doing that at that time you know it was completely groundbreaking back then like you didn't I I she was she really kick the door down for people to just like be, be weird. unapologetically odd yeah like you said and just have that as like their thing you know yeah. what I mean that like it can be a thing by itself it doesn't have to like yeah it, with Lady Gaga I think it all does mean something and especially if you haven't watched the documentary I'd highly recommend you go and watch that oh the so, 5 foot 2 one yeah it? it's very good I really enjoyed it um, and it really gives you an insight um, so like all of that oddness does mean something but like it doesn't have to Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people took advantage of that then after 
I always, I mean, like, I find her music can be hit and miss, but I respect the art, and I always respected her for, it seems clear that she always put the money back into the stage show and the costumes and the dancers and the art and, you know, seemed to be someone who genuinely was willing to, as you say, Alice, like, you know, give it all on stage every time. She loves her fans. Like, she is obsessed with her fans, and she used to, like, invite them on stage if she saw someone able to, like, do the choreography. She'd be like, that guy in the orange, get up on stage, you know what I mean? Like... She loves them. Quote here from that aforementioned professor, Gaga and her team understood the creation of a hardcore fan base via social networking sites and her approach to fans has always been very personal and direct. She established a culture where it seems that there's a symmetry between her and her fans as they can communicate with one another. You can tweet Lady Gaga and who knows, she might respond. Um, There's also a Guardian article where they were talking about the, the nicknames thing. You know, obviously we've got little monsters here. Uh, any come to mind for you that, of like are there any terrible ones that you can think of? Like I remember Jesse J called her fans her heartbeats. Oh, I remember that. Not great. Not great. No, not great. Kind of as cringe as as, as the woman herself. Sadly, I mean, there's a few that definitely are like the um, believers. I think phenomenal work, <laughs> by the way. Whoever came up with that, unbelievably yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Callahan, who was an X Factor person, I think, uh, called his the Callafans. Brilliant. <laughs> Inspired. Um, <laughs> Alice, who are the Selenators? Selena Gomez. Come on. <laughs> I like Selena Gomez and Alice has liked me off in the past for being a fan no, of her No, I music. turned to him and I was like, who do you think the, who do you think the greatest pop star of all time is? And we, we, Selena Gomez. Straight away, <laughs> Selena Gomez. And I was like, no, I was like, I was like, no, not the, I, I have nothing against you. I was, I was like, but of all time, everyone. And you're like, hands down, Selena Gomez. I was clearly <laughs> exaggerating. Uh, Lord apparently said that she won't come up with a name for her fans. Yeah. She doesn't want to get into that whole business, you know? I mean, I see I see her point. Like, because, like, if you if you aren't averse, to, or, like, or if you are averse to that kind of behavior, it's like legitimizing it and like potentially bringing it upon yourself. Especially like, I think Lady Gaga is very unique in the sense of how connected she is with her fans not saying that like there's artists out there who just like every other artist isn't you know what I mean I'm not saying that but she said before very you know, uniquely connected yeah, to her fans Lord said before in a, in a magazine interview um, people joke about it on Twitter you should call us the disciples never oh god <laughs> I have discouraged it I've tweeted multiple times no fan name I do not condone this well I'm very level headed lastly on Gaga Gaga before we move on um, to something very different Jen Gannon, the aforementioned Jen Gannon, who was a guest in the show recently, uh, she's a big fan, and I, I messaged her during the week, and I just said, like, you know, we're doing intense fandoms, I'm going to talk about Lady Gaga, uh, what is your take on the matter? Her response, and I quote from Jen, says, I don't know if they're at the FBI levels of madness that the Swifties are at, but for a time they were pretty intense. I guess because she acknowledged them from the beginning as Little Monsters gave them the sense of belonging and acceptance in the worst ways, because they seemed to think that their actions were somehow justified or welcomed by her in some way. There are obviously pockets that are still as intense, but I think they might have grown up a bit by now. She has shifted in the pop culture consciousness a bit as well. She's not at the white-hot centre of it as she used to be, so it can have the effect of making people less rabid, Moving into other spheres of acceptance can help, like film, etc. It gives her more of a presence in the wider culture. She's everyone's Gaga, not just ghettoized into a fandom, but I think this may have worked in reverse with Beyonce recently. She became more focused from 2013 onwards and the fans followed suit and the Bayhive is a bit more intense, if that makes sense. I think it does. Let's move on to our number four, which uh, it's closer to home, you could say.
if I may. Yeah, sure. That was a, a small town boy known as Garth Brooks, and that was ninety thousand people singing, singing that song. If tomorrow never comes, yeah, right? which I completely forgot. But also, you, you, in fairness, you were bowled over by the emotion because famously unemotional man crying. Did crying. you go? No, I didn't. Okay. No, I didn't go either. Probably here from my house. Yeah. To be uh, fair. I didn't go either. Uh, I wanted to go because he was doing the five gigs. Imagine going I, to Garth Brooks five nights in a row. Well, I tried. I actually got in touch with the PR and I was explaining. I was like, here. It's kind of my thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alice. You're I, like, someone's yeah. playing five nights. Ding, ding, ding. I made this guy about the Wolf Tones recently. They announced two nights and I was like, well, if there's three more to go, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I'll, I'll break out my Irish tie that I don't have. But no, I, I was saying to the PR, I want to do like this. And it, it wasn't five nights in a row. It, would, it was like three and two. Yeah. Two different weekends but i was like i, I want to do the overall piece here is what i did before blah 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 very unimpressed pr basically was like uh we can give you tickets for one of them and i'm like well that's just a fucking gig review like so i wrote back i was really on one that day and i, I wrote back <laughs> and i said well i said something like thanks very much for the offer but uh much like the man himself i said for this cowboy it's five or nine <laughs> oh, i knew exactly where that was going oh my god that's great. the email and she did not reply any further <laughs> we are talking about garth brooks and irish garth brooks fans in particular because garth brooks does in fact provoke intense fandom across the globe but Ireland of course has its strange relationship with Garth um, how do you feel about the man? Um, I was unaware of his presence until like the big fiasco of what was it 2019? 2014 2014 is when the story begins because that was when the gigs were initially announced oh yeah. my you gotta God. go all the way back God, that's like nine years ago yep. what the hell I he's got a story passed in Irish history I was working in Hot Press and I remember writing stories about it online yeah it's a whole thing July 2014 I couldn't get over that Crow Park had sold out for five nights and like not to be like but what about me I was like I, I don't know this man who is buying these tickets? I've never heard these songs. He was big over here in the 90s. Massive, he yeah. did some gigs and everyone had a fucking Garth Brooks CD in their house. I'm surprised that you didn't have one in yours, mm. you know? Line dancing was a bit of a craze and, yeah. you know, Garth Brooks was kind of put with it. Um, for whatever reason, it's one of those ones where you're like, why does our... It's like David Gray. It's like, why, why is Ireland obsessed with this man? But is it, it the nostalgia of it all? Part of it, I would say, country fans not getting a lot of big country... Like, he yeah, is... Yeah, he does... He's like... A bit of a man of the people, right? Because, oh, he, like, God. To, yeah, to <laughs> have you, did you go to that press? No. Oh, no. I went, I, I went to the press conference yeah. when he came back in 2020. Last year? Last year. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Yeah. I think it was late 2021, maybe. Um, yeah, I went to that thing and I, like, asked a question. Um, oh wow! I, I said to him like I can't remember what I said, but I I, I also I threw in a mention. I said uh, I said oh I said um I said that Chris Gaines song is great by the way, <laughs> and he was like thank you very much. <laughs> He's unbelievable. He's an unbelievable <laughs> person. There's a it's not on Netflix anymore, but there is a two part. I watched oh, it. Oh, I tried to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Three hour long. It's called Garth Brooks: The Road I'm On. Yeah, came out in 2019. In the very first scene, he's crying. It's, <laughs> it's in, he makes me look fucking tough. It's stoic, un, man. Stoic. It's unbelievable. The man is a, a walking heart, like heart burst beat thing. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, so yeah, this the, yeah, as you say, Alice, it's, it is like a decade old story, and it should be said that our former colleague and Joe, that I, Carl Kinsler, wrote an incredible incredible piece about the fiasco about the gigs you know initially announced that they were cancelled because the residents complained and the you know the he, Garth said he would only do five gigs and they couldn't come to a compromise uh, Carl wrote an article for Joe called like five or none uh, a honky tonk heartbreak phenomenal <laughs> again 
This is editorial genius. (laughs) Go read it. Oh, I I was jealous. Like, I was like, why isn't that me doing this? Damn you, Carl. But it's a great piece. And the Mexican Mexican ambassador to Ireland at one stage called the Lord Mayor of Dublin to offer his assistance in preventing the cancellation of these gigs. It was debated in the doll. Did you manage to grab a clip? I do have a clip of that. Would you like to hear it? sir. Yes, please. (laughs) This is a a famous Garth Brooks superfan, Michal Martin, lobbying... (laughs) Classic. Lobbying... T- lobbying Taoiseach Enda Kenny Classic To try and get these gigs over the line It's unbelievable stuff And Taoiseach there's There's an air of disbelief about um, The country and indeed the city that A major economic project by its own rights um, Has not got to go ahead Or has been cancelled And I refer to the cancellation of the five Garth Brooks uh, concerts 400,000 fans have had their tickets um, and uh, and uh, cancelled and ancillary booking expenses attached to that. Um, you're looking at about 200,000 hotel bookings disrupted. So it is of a very exceptional economic nature, but by any yardstick. Um, and also the reputational damage that has been done in terms of the capacity of the country and the city to host major events of this kind, because part of our tourism strategy has been all about um, making Ireland an attractive location for very significant events of this kind. I think the opposition would support government uh, in moving legislation of that kind, uh, given the significance of the economic implications here. Many hoteliers, restaurant owners, Republicans, young people looking for work. I mean, they can't simply believe that the system, that the the country can simply almost nonchalantly say, we don't really need that. We don't really need that. Okay, you know, you know it's serious business when not only does this thing make it beyond the corridors of power and into the biggest stage in Irish politics, but the phrase ancillary booking booking (laughs) is what's rattled out. Now, you've got to give um, current Tonish to Michal Martin some credit here. He is right that it's a lot of money. I know, I was making fun of him, but then he was, you know, he was making some facts. He got down to brass tacks, yeah. yeah, Like, he said, I cut it out. That was like a bit of a splice of my favourite bits of the... the, um, It actually makes into that documentary by the way there is a section on this it's unbelievable like I think the bandied around figure of like how much of a of how much the state um, stood to gain was 50 billion euros that can't be right that makes no sense or was it 50 million maybe I'd say 50 million million. (laughs) I'm no economist I don't know I feel feel like I went very Dr. Evil (laughs) (laughs) a billion dollars don't don't let the truth get in the way it was 50 billion yeah 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 yeah, yeah. she's right my my truth is Adam Adam, she's dead right print the legend (laughs) but anyway and he said that like whatever it was 50 million was on the lower scale of what they stood to lose by by um yeah. By cancelling well, they have to eat crow in the end. So I'm, I'm going to um, I'm going to take a couple paragraphs from Carl's article here. Uh, Garth Brooks has a long history with Ireland. It says here his 1997 concert in Croke Park is the stuff of legend. He loved us and we loved him. In the interview where he announced the five gigs, Brooks said of Ireland, and I quote: "A concert in this place is as good as it gets. These people know how to have a great time." and they know every word of every song, and they come prepared. They can call it working all day long, but this ain't working. This is eating ice cream for a living. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's the best, isn't he? incredible. He's so desperate. Before we move on, I do have a clip of oh, him. We're spe- not, we are not moving on. Oh. I, I, I'm not finished. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but don't worry. Uh, I don't care how long this episode is. To quote Carl again, former Lord Mayor of Dublin, Christy Burke, believes that there was some struggle by Brooks's team to fully understand the red tape that bound each decision. Quote from Christy Burke, people were telling him about on board Planala, but sure, your man's American. He hadn't got a fucking clue what on board Planala was. <laughs> There's some great quotes from um, 
from the Lord Mayor around that time. He's like, oh, I'm not going to get into the blame game. Do you know what I mean? And like, on RT News, yeah. like uh, unbelievable stuff. Just like really good. Keep going, Dave. Well, Sorry. To quote Garth and his heartbreak when it was announced that they couldn't go ahead with them, he said at the time, unless you have this clip, do you? Or do you have a different clip? Uh, say again, sorry? Do you have Garth reacting to... I have like, a, it's like a press conference type situation where yeah. he's talking about the gigs being cancelled. Okay, you know what? Uh, it'll be better to hear from him. You are correct. Let's hear him. This is real-time production, guys. <laughs> I don't have a clue how we got here. All I know is that the powers who can fix it are not here. It's a simple yes. Open it up for five nights. Let everybody have fun. Then go to work. On never letting it happen again, if you want. Create your laws, create your guidelines, but don't sell a show to people and get their hopes up that you're going to just cancel on them. And that's okay. It's not okay for me. I don't think it's, I don't agree with that's the way to treat people. And if the Prime Minister himself wants to talk to me, I will crawl, swim, I will fly over there this weekend, sit in front of him. I will drop on my knees and beg for those 400,000 people to just have fun and let them come sing. That's what I want to do. I want to love fun as much as he loves fun. Yeah. He loves having fun. He loves eating ice cream. He loves just singing a song. He would swim to Ireland. <laughs> and drop to his knees in front of the Brian Alice, you have to appreciate the drama of this. Like, you know, I do. He's, you have, how did you, you said that you tried to watch the documentary. Yeah, I think, I, I think. This is what you get at every turn. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it was the length. I'm. I'm not. I'm a bit Gen Z with my attention span. Do you know what I mean? Fair, but it's. It really is worth trying to struggle yeah, with. Have, have you seen it? I haven't. No, guys. It's incredible. He's unbelievable. <laughs> it, it, it's one of the honors of my life that I got to be. <laughs> that I got to be in that room when he came back because you've never seen a man work a crowd like this, and all of the journalists were so excited yeah. they were like it's Garth fucking Brooks wearing double denim and a Stetson and he's he's talking to us he's he's like one of a kind to go uh, you know in line with what he said there another quote from him about this was I can't thank the people of Ireland enough for how welcome they made me feel I have faith that Dublin City Council will make the best decision for the people of Ireland for us it is five shows or none at all. That's the big one. To choose which shows to do and which, it will be like choosing one child over another. However this plays out, Ireland has my heart and always will. He's unbelievable. He's just the best. Uh, and he did get to come back, of course. There's also, you did, know. Sorry, did he do the five shows? In the end. In the end. Well, yeah, but it was recall. split over. Yeah, oh, it was, it was split over. When yes, he finally got back yeah. in, I think, was it last year, 2022? I think it I was, think it yeah. was, yeah. I think it was last year. I could be slightly wrong on that one, but I'm pretty sure it was. He did... They did three nights. It was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. And then he did like Saturday, Sunday the okay. following week. So he got the five in the end. They made it work after all that. <laughs> and of course, the tickets sold. I'm, I'm pretty sure most of them sold out. Like the yeah. seconds, yeah, I think yeah. it sold out. Um, yeah. Carl, back in the Joe article, he interviewed a street vendor called Bren. Bren, the street vendor, recalled the nightmare moment when he learned that he had wasted 15,000 euro on thousands of novelty cowboy hats. Quote, basically, I bought 5,000. I had the money spent. It was disaster. Got them shipped in from China or whatever. It came out in the morning that after that he wasn't coming. It was like a bad dream. I was screwed then. Didn't have anywhere to put them. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to sell them for 15 euro a pop and it cost me about 3 euros per hat. Three days of 80,000 people. Even if I'd sold 1,000, I'd have made my money back. So yeah, it's incredible. Carl's piece is amazing. It's well worth seeing. And just to, just to give Carl one last shout out, because like... When he gets to the ending of his article, this is how he signs it off. And again, this is before the gigs would finally come back. But Carl writes, Like an old war veteran with a missing limb, we can still feel the twinge where our Garth Brooks concerts were supposed to be. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> until we understand exactly why it happened, we probably always will. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to have gone, but I did find myself being like, I think the gigs themselves wouldn't have been as adventurous to say the picture this thing. I think it would just be like, here's three hours of a country music guy doing his set. Apparently couldn't find a cowboy hat anywhere, though. Really? Yeah. He couldn't. No, no, one couldn't. Oh, okay. Like Bren had 5,000. Get on to Bren. Talk to Bren, but yes. Cowboy hat guy, you know. It's a it's a love-love relationship in the end, but it was just, it was such a wild thing to be around during this time. And like, uh, there's more to it. Like, there was so many phone-ins to Irish radio. There was so many protests and uh, it was a beautiful time to be alive. Now, for our number three, Adam is going to give us a crash course in something very very different. Trying to find out who everyone's favorite K-pop group is. You gotta pick. A, I know it's gonna stress you out. I have to say shiny. I gotta oh, say shiny. Okay, I'm a shiny. Okay. I bleed Pearl Aqua. And then what about you? God Seven. Those are my boys forever. Who's your bias? Taemin. Taemin. Oh, she didn't even think about it. We like this. And who's your bias and your favorite group? Mark Twan. Oh, I love Mark. Yeah, see, that's my boy. It's K-pop, baby. It's K-pop time. Um, that was one of the reporters from Billboard. I didn't quite catch his name. He was um, at a K-pop convention in LA. No credit for you, journalist. Um, <laughs> unnamed journalist at Billboard. Um, Local area man. <clears throat> but he was at a he was at a conference in LA. Um, kind of like um, like a Comic Con type situation, but for K-pop fans and they were like dressed to the nines and like all the makeup and the glitz and the glamour and like it, it's very I think it's pretty clear like of, about the obsession there but like that's kind of a bit more of a modern phenomenon because that was a very western um a western angle um K-pop itself I have a bit of a history on it so they reckon it originated back in about 1992 <clears throat> With a hip hop band called Seo Ta- Taiji and Boys, thought to be like the first kind of act that fit in this whole world of like what it is now to be a K pop band. Um, it was a mostly isolated fandom until the rise of social media, I guess, um, with I suppose the majority of it kind of being in. South, South Korea itself South Korea being you know the K and K-pop of course and to ask me like, for, for me to ask my ignorant question here like you know can an act be K-pop if they're not Korean like, has it become a wider you know across Asian genre or is it just strictly and this is me being very I don't know like, no I, this, I, I, this is actually a thing that has happened over the past couple of years because um, as through gaining popularity there's been like some Vietnamese members of K-pop bands or like uh, Chinese members of K-pop bands stuff like that and I believe it was like contentious for a little while, but um, I think it's all kind of died down now. Um, generally, you'll see in like the the bigger acts where there's like six or seven or however mm-hmm. many of them in in those acts, there might be someone who was like not from South Korea. Okay. Yeah. So that's the that's the kind of buzz there. It's like such a big phenomenon that there's I, I got a good piece here which was written by Dr. Juen. Uh, Kier, I'm going to pronounce them awful, Professor of Korean Linguistics, uh, University of Oxford, for the Victoria and Albert Museum. Nice. This is where, this is, it's made the it into VNA. the, it's made it into the V&A, right? So, um, they write, the impact of K-pop and its fandom is greater than anyone could have ever anticipated. K-fans are transnational, transcultural, and translingual, operating without borders. Prior to the smartphone, the social media era, K-fans were traditionally unable to communicate internationally with with switchies. So again, with the rise of like Twitter, Instagram, 
Um, blogs huge like huge on TikTok. Blogs like Tumblr, TikTok. Yeah. I think Twitter was kind of where it first took off. Mm-hmm. I think that was like where they all congregated first of all. And the main thing that kind of kicked them into gear in the early 2010s was Gangnam Style by Psy. That was like the first one that the world really heard. Can we all agree that it's a horrendous song? Oh, terrible. And was never good? (laughs) Wasn't it like the most watched YouTube video of like all time? It definitely had that for a while or was one of them. Yeah, it was was colossal. Yeah. So that was 2012 and then after that... Also, sorry, so that song, when did Gangnam Style come out? 2012. I always think it's like like later, like like I'm like. It feels like it's eleven yeah. years old. Yeah, and it, it feels fuck? like there's then like a massive gap between that and the likes of BTS yeah. or what we got then. Who after. are great? Well, from what I've heard, I haven't heard everything because there's a lot of the output. There's is, a lot. The output tends to be, and again, there's also a conversation to be had about the industry has often been criticised for not in any way protecting the mental health of those involved or physical health sometimes. Like. And yeah, it, yeah. it feels like in, in some cases in these bands that it's almost like conscription. Yeah. And you have got military service in in Korea, but this feels like pop military service. Oh no, but it's like that's legit a thing. Yeah. That like the option is to go into a band or to go into the. Military, to be, to go into entertainment or yeah, to yeah. wow, and I think like by all accounts, it's very hard to decipher what's the better option. Do yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it seems like you know you look at someone like BTS and you're like, oh my god, these guys are like worldwide stars and the music is really cool and like you know they're unique and different and like it, it's a, it's a fresh wave of pop music, but like it just seems like they're being driven into the fucking ground. Oh, massively so, and like in every sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like physical welfare, mental welfare, and um, input. It's like there's just too much music to keep yeah. up. It's so like, much. It's just like like you guys say, it's a machine. It's yeah. just like this thing that just is going twenty four seven. It seems like they don't have a rest. And there's so many acts. It's like, it's not just the ones that you've heard of. It's not just Blackpink. It's not just BTS. It's not just Psy or any of these. There's hundreds, hundreds of hundreds. It's a separate like, hundreds. industry within itself. Yeah, right? and yeah. The, the record labels that are kind of involved in K-pop are exclusively involved in K-pop and their media production houses. Everything is done under one roof. And like, I mean, I know like pop music in particular is a cosmetic business, you know, you might not like it, but it is. But it does feel like there's extra emphasis on these people have to look not just good looking. Yeah. They have to look supernatural. Teeny, and, are, and are criticised if they're not. Yeah. Like publicly and by the industry. It's like, I mean... Okay, guys and girls. Like yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Across it's, the board. Like. It, it's it's absolutely absolutely wild um, what, what they have to put up with, what the stars have to put up with. But one of the things that does seem more positive than not is the fan base. And that's what we're kind of like, you know, going back to the top five. That was my focus here. So traditionally, K-pop, fans have very very dedicated fan bases like kind of would be almost like competing for the competition of Swifties in their own right as a whole not necessarily just for one act but kind of as a whole they generally have a collective name like each band or whatever will have a collective name and it's like assigned it's like a done thing from the moment the band is founded almost and it's they, part of the marketing strategy it, genuinely it yeah. is it is it is it's it's all again it's all this massive machine that just works in this way to try and like pull the consumer in to get more money because it's all driven that way but they have like a fan a, a fan name and they generally have a color assigned so like for example TVXQ fans are known as Cassiopeia and their more their official color is pearl red some of the more popular groups have personalized light sticks for use at concerts for example big bang fans hold yellow shaped crown light sticks and there is um an article i found that lists every known k-pop band and their and their like corresponding fan name and colors, and uh, not the colors, just the fan name. But if you name. went, so if I went, if I was a fan of uh, whoever, I go to a gig, I gotta like either don war paint essentially or wear clothing that reflects. I think that's the general consensus. Yeah, 
if I'm if I want to be a part of that community. Yeah, yeah. I can obviously go to the show without doing that. Yeah. Now it seems like uh, overwhelmingly K-pop fans it would appear are a bit more. Um, have a kind of a bit more of a positive reputation than a negative reputation. I mean, you're always going to hear the horror stories and we'll get into that. But um, K-pop fans have been known to get involved in like political issues, particularly those centered around inequality or discrimination and have been known to mobilize in that regard on a large scale, for example. And I found this very interesting because I didn't know about this. In 2020, Donald Trump, the then president of the United States, held a free ticket rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Do you remember this? I know this. I think we talked about it on the show. I think we probably did at the time. Yeah, it's wild. In a perfectly orchestrated protest against his policies, K-pop fans reserved as many tickets as possible and then did not use them leaving up to 19,000 seats empty yep. and there that was footage so funny. Yeah. there was footage of him doing his speeches and there was and it was just an empty fucking stadium yeah so this great. is this is like not the you know it's not it's that's, a great example that's magnificent civil disobedience sabotage like, yeah, yeah that's great and it would seem like this is kind of you know, one of the main characters. Why do they target yeah. him? Like, I guess he is massively racist. <laughs> yeah, racist. I <laughs> would like, think is probably what I mean is. No, sorry, that, that's a why they go after <laughs> Donald Trump. You know, all the man does is you know is make us laugh. Actually, can I play a Donald Trump clip from this week? From this week, it's incredible. Okay, I do not have the audio. I'm going to give it to you, and you can put it into the show. <laughs> okay, perfect. So mark it now. Okay, but you have a better chance of being struck by lightning than hitting a whale with your boat. There has only been, listen to this, one such whale killed off the coast of South Carolina in the last 50 years. But on the other hand, their windmills are causing whales to die in numbers never seen before. Nobody does anything about that. They're washing up and show. I saw it this weekend. Three of them came up. They wouldn't, you wouldn't see it once a year. Now they're coming up on a weekly basis. The windmills are driving them crazy. They're driving, they're driving the whales, I think a little batty. All I'm saying, Adam, is he's my problematic fave, okay? <laughs> Why is he so what, funny? The fucking, probably the most problematic fave. <laughs> like, top three with Andrew Tate. People get mad about this, but you're like, I'm sorry. And again, I'm No, 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 he is funny. And like. I remember Ken Early from the Irish Times and Second Cabins once put up a Twitter poll that just said, is Donald Trump funny? Yes or no? And I was like, he knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> People are going to get really mad about this. But the truth is, as awful as he is, and he is awful and should be in prison, He's hilarious. I'm sorry. I had to derail the show because that clip, that clip the other day, I was crying with laughter. It's very, very funny. (laughs) Back to K-pop, please. Okay, so uh, with those political issues, it's not the first time that that has happened. There's another high profile time in the start of the pandemic. BTS uh, got, like they took to Twitter to kind of talk about the anti-Asian sentiment that was happening around the time. Um due to the coronavirus pandemic breaking out of China and all the rest of it. Trump himself called it the China virus. Uh, Like, again... Bad person. uh, Yeah. Bad person. A terrible, terrible guy, but he is deranged and in that way, very funny. Not Um, about about racism. No, not about... No, absolutely not. No. Um, Laugh laugh at, not laugh Just don't want to conflate the two there. So... Um, that was like another thing and this like led to, you know, a lot of people being like, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, the K-pop fandom really did kind of spread they, they're great at spreading the word in 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 that sense on that by the way if i may because we're in the studio here and there are acts that have been produced in the studio and there are like pictures on the walls sure gavin james yes is staring at me right now uh, from the medium of a glass case of emotion that he's behind right now gavin james uh, one of bts i think did like a an, an instagram live or something and either did a cover of a gavin james song or said that he likes a gavin james song so. and that led 
to Gavin James getting like fucking rocketed up social media by K-pop fans oh who God. got behind him and they're like, well, if he likes him, then we have to like him. See, this is and the Gavin thing. James, I think, did like a cover of a BTS song or something as a result. Which, smart man to jump on that. Very smart. But they did, like, literally he was like, this guy's great, you should check him out. And they did in their droves. It's it, like, again, it's, you know, you say jump, we say how high. Yeah. Um, and like, even the terminology behind K-pop is like so... I don't know, it feels kind of alien in a way and slightly cultish, I hate to say it, but it, it does kind of feel that way. Like individual acts or individual people in the band, say, are referred to as idols. So they're the idols. Like not members. Not No, it's like, I, this. Yeah. who's your favourite idol? Okay. And it would be, you know, this person, that yeah. person, the other person. Like you heard in the clip there to kind of take us into the section. Um, it's... Yeah, it's I, I don't know. It's it's a bit mad, but also at the same time, uh, fans are known to get involved in charity work. For example, some fan clubs um, participate in charity events to support their idols, purchasing bags of quote unquote fan rice in order to show support. The rice bags are donated to those in need. Okay, which is pretty nice. Like yeah. again, there's it's not without its kind of really good stories, like a good news story at the end of it all. Um, I have a thing here on K-pop fans and soft power. So the phenomenon of the Korean wave and the strong connection between the K-pop idols and their fans resulted in South Korea developing what is called soft power. Soft power is the ability to shape the preference of others through appeal as opposed to, you know, demanding or whatever. So, um, so uh, ooh, I've lost my place, pardon me. Um, K-pop idols allow fans globally to view South Korea positively, which results in South Korea improving the country's ability to gain trust and preference in trade internationally, transforming them into political and ep- economic strength. So, like, the K-pop industry itself is... It's like a rebrand. But it's kinda. like, it's almost like the government have a vested interest here yeah. because it's so valuable to the economy. Yeah. Um, both in terms of, like you know, commerce, in terms of taxes, tourism, tourism, yeah. everything else, you know, because there are, like I've known of people who have gone to Korea just to experience either their favourite K-pop act, their favourite idol, idol, quote unquote, <laughs> um, or just to kind of experience the culture as someone who is a, a member of a K-pop fan base, you know. Um, so I, again, fan behaviour, positive members of the idol fandoms may better themselves in the pursuit of their obsession, such as by studying to enter the same university as their idol, learning foreign languages to follow their idol's career abroad, or learning image processing techniques to edit photos of the idol. Fandom may also lead to other interests. For example, idol group JYJ's fans like musicals because of musical appearances made by member Kim Jun-soo. Um, fans role in creating their own fan content allows for idol groups to gain mainstream exposure in the West and have tours, tours abroad. This is what I mean about like those kind of um, conferences or like co- uh, conventions, I guess is probably the better word, um, in the States. Like that one was in LA. Obviously, LA is a massive bustling music scene. Perfect place to have it. Um, but now to get into the darker side a little bit. Yes. And it is... <laughs> really dark when okay. it comes when it comes to K-pop stuff. Some of the stuff is so, so, so strange. So, stalker fans are <coughs> also known as uh, Sasang fans. Sasang is a, is a Korean word. I'm not sure what the literal translation is. Um, considered to have become overly obsessed with a public figure and engaged in behaviour that constitutes an invasion of privacy. Stalker fans may disguise themselves as a stagehand or a manager to approach the star or pretend to be reporters in order to gain entry to a press conference. Many fans use internet and social media to find and track location of their idols. According to a Korean idol group, JYJ, 
Some of the fans came to the group's hostel, stole the members' underwear, took pictures of them sleeping, and later sent the pictures to the members by text message. Many normal fans have an unpleasant feeling about such fans' actions. <laughs> Does not surprise me. But I will say there was a great YouTube channel uh, called, I think it's Kooky Lit, um, was, is a kind of a K-pop YouTuber. Um, and they put up a video on Sasang fans, so I have a clip of that, just to play now. Probably everyone heard the horrible thing that happened to Taekyung from 2pm. He was sent a letter by a Sasang fan written in period blood. Or how Super Junior's Hangang received a poisoned cake with knives and bags of blood, along with a picture of Hangang that was impaled. Don't forget TVXQ's Yoonho being given a glass of orange juice with glue in it. Girl groups are also common victims of Sasangs. Twice as Mina was sent a threatening letter because a male fan thought that she was dating GOT7's Bam Bam, Girls' Generation Yuna was stalked all the way to her dorm, and Baby Vox's Kamion got sent razor blades with blood letterings for dating an HOT member. The most recent extreme case includes twice as Nayeon, who's being stalked by an international fan who thinks that they're meant to be together. I mean, I don't know, like, it's nice to be wanted, you know? <laughs> bags of blood, Dave. Dave. It's tough out there. Knives and bags of blood. Single guy, that's all I'm saying. You know, like if, if, if I got such attention... No, no, it's obviously... That, that, that is what we call crossing the line, But guys. it's like, that's like... <laughs> what the fuck? You know, you, you talk about stan culture, right? And stan culture comes... Like, the the term stan comes from the Eminem video, right? It's, yes. You know, where it, it's like he... What what is it the fan ends up doing? Like kidnaps his wife and like... Crashes his crashes car. Crashes his car. With the wife in the trunk. It's and just like Eminem to- is writing them the letter, and he realized that oh no, I saw a news report. You're actually dead. Totally wild. Yeah, totally, totally wild. But like at the time, it, though, it, that song was the truth. It sure was. People and, were obsessed, myself included. And this is kind of like the realistic manifestation of it. Like these mm-hmm. Sasang fans. But I will. Uh, there was a whole thing up until recently. I think 2016 was when it was enacted. The, uh, South Korea didn't have very strong laws against like privacy invasion, particularly in this regard. So obviously it was happening to so many K-pop acts and K-pop again being such a valuable contribution to, you know, society in South Korea and being like a major kind of governmental asset. They changed legislation. So now that there is pretty steep penalties for anyone who is found to be, you know, crossing those lines and, you know. Good. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is dead right. Like it's prison time and massive fines, I believe. But anyway, those are the sides of K-pop. I think Forest for Good overall, a very, very dedicated fan base though. Dust the list. Intense yeah, is the word, sure. yes. Thank you, Adam, for that crash course. That was very enjoyable. You're very and welcome. You t- we go from prison time though to Alice's time to shine as we go to our runner up for intense fandoms. Who we got? What do you imagine life would be like if you married Harry? Oh my god. I don't know. It, it'd just be really good because I. I just like want to spend my life with him. Right, what have you got there on your arm? Um, it's lyrics and moments. And what's it say? If we could only have this life one more day, if we could only turn back time. Okay, all right. How many times have you met the, the group? Um, over like 20. I've met them quite a few times. Right, okay. What about you? Have you met them yet or not? No, I'm trying to. Like, when they come back to the UK, I'm going to like stay in the same hotel and try and meet them there. And we saw your bedroom there, didn't we? Completely, yeah. was it completely wallpapered <laughs> with One Direction pictures? Not completely. There's like one wall that I've put like loads of tiny pictures of One Direction. Right. And I've like finished it now. Okay. So this is One Direction slash Harry Styles. Alice, take it away. Thank you so much. I said before we started recording that you guys had notes and I was going on pure memories. 
because the next two I was I was I I was and still am deep in the fandom. So formed in 2010, we have Liam Payne, Zayn Malik, Louis Tomlinson, Niall Horn, Harry Styles, and they of course make One Direction. So Zayn leaves in 2015. The band were only together for five years. What? They had <laughs> it felt like a decade or it more, did, yeah. didn't it? It definitely did. Five years, five albums, four tours, two of which are stadiums. Jesus. My God. And bear in mind, some of them were 16 when they started. That's, it's just... So by the time madness. they're 21, their careers are over. Is that what they were told? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, it was literally an overnight success. Mm-hmm. Like... They were put together, they obviously all auditioned individually on X Factor and then were put together at, I think, boot camp. And it was absolute genius marketing because I was 14, maybe. And rather than just seeing the band on a Saturday night, um, they did video diaries and they did video updates on the X Factor YouTube channel all throughout the week. So it wasn't that you were just seeing the band on a Saturday. You were getting fed little funny moments and like getting to know their personalities like all throughout the week that by the time the vote came around on the Saturday, you felt like you'd practically hung out with them all week anyway and saw the performance come to life. It was like they were texting you throughout the week and telling you how they were getting on. Um, Now, I think Justin Bieber fans were kind of the first to crack this, but I did notice with One Direction that they like really found their fan base on Twitter and really used Twitter to connect with their fans. And I also feel like it was at a time when social media wasn't a marketing thing. Like No, it was like Twitter was a massive catalyst back then for like we talked about Lady Gaga's Little Monsters, even K pop at the time. It was all kind of happening around then. Like. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was when they all had access to their own. No one had your logins. You had your login. There was no one doing it for yeah, you. Yeah, there was no one doing it for you. And I remember they used to always do like ask me anything. So they'd be like, oh my God, I'm on a tour bus for four hours. Like, what do you guys want to know? And then people would be like, what's your favorite food? And they'd be like, this thing in the Chinese. So you got to know the most insane details of these people that like an artist now, you wouldn't really, you, I don't know that about Olivia Rodrigo unless it's in a Vogue twenty. 73 questions or whatever that is Um, (coughs) and I think we kind of touched on this with the Lady Gaga thing as well but with like One Direction and Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande they were touchable for a while you know and I think fans can't let go of that like I have friends who Ariana Grande has tweeted and whenever Ariana Grande comes up in a conversation they're like Ariana Grande tweeted me like if One Direction tweeted me I too would bring it up in every conversation do you know what I mean so it's really hard for like the fans to let go of that it's like go and see a picture of this five times or something (laughs) (laughs) Um, and even like the things that they did like and you don't really see this as much anymore but they did like radio tours and you'd go around to all the little local radio stations around the country and around the UK and if you knew that One Direction were going to be at 98FM people would go to 98FM they know for a fact One Direction are going to be here and again like you have that thing of like it became so possible to get a selfie with your favourite pop star because they're going to you know where they're going to be and also they're tweeting you where they're going to be at all times as well and I kind of spoke about this earlier about the kind of the community part of a fan base and I think I've been thinking a lot about fan bases obviously over the past week 
And you had said, why don't we do toxic fan bases? Mm-hmm. And toxic doesn't sit well with me. I'm a cynic. Mm. You know, you're not. <laughs> we, we've established this. You're, like, you, you're, you're smiley and happy and I'm cold <laughs> and miserable. Um, but well, yes. my, my, my TikTok says different, but you know. Um, but I, <laughs> I would just wonder, like, what is it that, like, makes us think that a fan base is toxic or intense or whatever it is? And I do think part of it is when it's things that teenage girls like. And I, I, it's weird that we ridicule teenage girls for having interest in things, especially when a lot of those things are music, which is an incredible thing to have um, an interest in. But, um, and I'll kind of talk about this with the next, uh, with the number one spot. <laughs> Can you guess? Um, um, also, sorry, yeah, real quick. The colloquial name is it's Directioners, isn't directioners. it? You and you, you wear an R, perhaps. A, uh, a, a yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in like you know, I, I went to Slane and like I um. I adore Niall Horn. I think he's just a little cutie. Like, I I just think he's so harmless. Yeah. Um, oh, by all accounts, he just seems like a really nice bloke. Yeah. But also, in terms, I do think I do think you're right that there is an element of misogyny in this because even, like, the clip that we have there, and it wasn't selected to mock young women or anything, but, like, you hear just the pure level of innocence in that clip where, yeah. where it's like, why do you want to marry Harry Styles? And she's like, I just think it'd be really nice. Like, yeah. that's not someone who is, that's not an adult talking who's had life experience. Yeah. That's someone yeah. who has pure dream-like fascination with Harry Styles and isn't applying the conventions of life to yeah. him. And I will say as well, like, that again... it's a cut, Easy it, fodder, like what I'm saying. It, like, but you it's know, a cut-down clip too. Like, it, it doesn't show the, like, there's a part of it there. Uh, I think I cut it out. Like, the whole thing was when, you know, she was asked that question. He was like, she, like one of the things she said was like, he just seems like he'd treat women really well yeah and like yeah Yeah. you know what i mean probably right yeah um yeah i i I get what you're saying it does feel unfair and like it's it was probably the same back in the 90s would take that but i'm kind of thinking like with the beatles and stuff like people always thought they were going to marry them we just didn't get to hear them say it yeah whereas we hear we are in we're interviewing them now so when you ask them they're going to say it but like the Beatles fans thought it too. They just weren't being interviewed. They just weren't on, on daytime TikTok. TV. Yeah, like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? that's an impossibility. Whereas with this situation, maybe I could end up in you know Chiswick FM. Yeah, when and Zane shows up. The kind of the kind of note that I have here is that like my dad has been to every Bruce Springsteen gig in Ireland, and I'm like, but I've been to every Taylor Swift gig in Ireland. So like, what is the moment where it's too much? Do you know what I mean? He has merch, I have merch. He goes to shows, I go to shows. Like, and if when Bruce Springsteen announced his shows, like the three of us were on the laptops trying to get the tickets the same way when Taylor Swift announced Mm -hmm. her shows, we're all on the laptops trying to get the tickets. And I'm like, what is the thing that makes it different? Do you have an answer? I don't have an answer. I I actually don't know. It's It's because Bruce Springsteen is a man who plays guitar and makes rock music and therefore that's okay. And pop music has a naturally, you know, uh, skewed fandom and people think it's just for girls Mm -hmm. or for gay people. It's not, you know, it's not tough and cool. You know, like when I was younger and I was getting into like, you know, new metal and that kind of stuff and I still love new metal. But one of the reasons why I love new metal is because it's like pop music. Like that's Mm -hmm. what it is. It's got a defined structure. It's all about an adrenaline pumping chorus. And I was, you know, in my teens, I thought I was too cool for pop music I thought I was a big tough guy and eventually I dropped that and I'm delighted that I did and I think like girls I said before I got in trouble for saying this I think girls that have got as good a singles as anybody you know and I include the Beatles in that one people get mad when I say that but the point is I do I love like I I, I don't like the answer I, is the, or the promise the promise, the is, promise is incredible yeah. you know fucking there's so many biology obviously but like 
I don't, and this isn't to say, oh, look at me, I'm so enlightened, but like, I did have an aversion to pop music. I did think it was for girls. I was stupid. And then one day, thankfully, either someone talked me out of it or I just copped on and I realized that there's this incredible world of music out there. And, you know, I'd like to think that I've come around where it's like, if a song is good, it does not matter the genre or who is the one fronting it or if it's manufactured like One Direction of course are very manufactured I'm, I'm saying they didn't win X Factor right? no, no they, they came third, third. I mean, that's a misconception I think people yeah. think that they won yeah I mean they won the career lottery oh, because yeah. Matt Cardle won that year and yeah. his career did not go anywhere but yeah. and back to the direction of the room please Um. so I think I know I said I don't have the answers but I think obviously we touched on it again the, the parasocial relationships is is probably the difference. I went to Angel Olsen with my boyfriend uh, when she played in November and I was like, where's she from? Because he got the tickets and he and he, she is like his favourite artist of all time. And I was like, where's she from? And he was like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, is she American? Like, what's, what's her accent? He was like, never heard her speak. And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't <laughs> comprehend that you wouldn't, you haven't like watched interviews and like, just know, like, know everything about this person. You don't know who they're dating. You don't know where they're from. Like, do you know where they were the night before? Do you even follow her on Instagram? Like, do you know what I mean? Um, he just cares about the music. He just cares about the music. Um, which maybe that's like my dad with Bruce Springsteen, but I think in these intense fan bases, it goes into that parasocial relationship. I need and their inner life, yeah. Step beyond. Um, but how was it for you? I mean, like, did you have a favourite and were you obsessed with them? Like, so what this was your... is the thing that I was thinking about is that um, it was kind of, like I was going to say with the VMAs, I feel like Justin Bieber and One Direction kind of came out around the same time. They were definitely like in each other's world. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it was like the start of like fan bases being pitted against each other. Like you were, are you a, are you a Justin Bieber girl or are you a One Direction girl? And then we did that again, similar to the Beatles. Are you a Harry girl or are you a Nile girl? So it's like you're, the fan bases were pitted against each other, but then even with in the, the fan base, groups, yeah. we were Civil War. pitting each other like against each other. And even to this day, people are, will still be like, who's the most successful one out of One Direction? And again, this is me being an airy fairy, but I'm like, does it matter? Like they're still being pitted against each other and they've been broken up nearly 10 years mm-hmm. and people are still like, but he's more successful than him. And I'm like, yeah, but like Zayn doesn't want to tour. Like, do you know what I mean? But they're mm-hmm. still being pitted against each other in that way. But also all millionaires who have done very well for themselves. It's oh, fine. They're fine. Just let them live. They're going to be you know fine. Mean? So hang on. So you went to Slane. I did. Last year. Oh, the, this year? This year. I've lost track of time completely. You went to Slane, Harry Styles, and of course when that was announced, they were like, what, what the fuck? It's a guy who doesn't have a guitar. And he like, wears glittery pants. He's oh, sexually ambiguous. I can't, yeah. ha- I can't handle this. Um, how was it? It was amazing. Um, so I was nervous to get tickets, as I am with every act that I like, because it's impossible for me to get tickets to the musicians that I like. doesn't sound that way. You've been to every Taylor Swift gig. <laughs> I know. And I've, I've always got tickets. I don't know what I'm on about. It's, it's just a very drama. stressful It's a drama. Experience. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Um, Slane was amazing and I was really, really nervous for it. I was just, you know, it had been like, what, four years since the Slane had happened in general. So it was just, and there's just so many warnings about like, get here 70 million hours in advance and walk and get your buses and this, that and the other. Um, and also I kind of seen a lot on TikTok and stuff just about like how quotations crazy the fans are. And I was kind of like, I really don't want to be slid down a hill for fans like running like yeah. toward, to this to maelstrom of people yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but that just didn't happen and that's kind of like something that i have here is that like 
obviously we're talking about these intense fans and like I can kind of go into stuff that has happened to One Direction or has happened to Harry Styles but for me like I brought um, my boyfriend to it and I, <laughs> he brings me to like like I said Angel Olsen and I make him cough up 120 quid to go to Harry Styles and I was like really nervous but I was like it was so beautiful and I was so happy that he got to experience something like that because I think it was the closest I'll get to a football match and bear with me as I describe this but like people would text me like what you wear in Harry Styles like it was like you wore your attire like I wore a glittery dress and on the bus down we had glitter all on our faces and we were drinking on the bus and doing each other's makeup and everything was beautiful and like for some of the songs there's like a specific dance that you do and there's like specific things that you shout back to him and like there's certain things that you do with your phone like to make light up at certain times and everyone has to get it right and I'm like this is class that 80,000 people are in on this bit do you know what I mean like I just don't think I'll ever get, like experience stuff like that again unless it's a football match where everyone is like punching each other because they <laughs> love the thing so much but this, I was just like everyone's in on it like this is class like we're all just doing the little like the boot scoot dance and like I was doing it and then like these girls that I don't know were like can you teach me can you teach me and I'm going over and I'm teaching them the dance and I'm just like I kind of it almost breaks my heart that fans get like a bad rep when it's like the most beautiful thing that you can be a part of yeah as well well I wonder if that translates if I could move us on to our number one Mm -hmm. because I think there is crossover in the general kind of conversation so uh, no prizes for guessing here's our number one It's day one. I can still make the whole place shimmer. Of Taylor Swift's six shows here at SoFi Stadium in her heiress tour. Taylor Swift! Fans lined up hours prior dressed in the pop star's image. I'm from her fearless tour in 2008 where she's dressed as Marching Van Taylor. This is the lover's era, (laughs) so you have to get like heart everything. Exactly, yeah, the earrings, the pink. And exchanged (laughs) friendship bracelets. What do they all say, lover? You wanna trade friendship bracelets? That's what Swifties do. Many people here paid hundreds of dollars for a single ticket. We're talking 500? A little more. 700? Around there. Her ticket. Something like that. But mom Jennifer Ralph says it's worth every penny for her daughter celebrating her 16th birthday, even named after the singer. We feel like this is like the soundtrack of her life. You know, I've I've sort of baptized her with Addison Taylor Swift. So, in the, uh, thank you for that clip, Adam. Sterling work there. CBS America never fa- never fails to yeah, yeah. keep giving. You I know. Mean, oh, I mean, I love the part where they're even making friendship, friendship bracelets. bracelets. Yeah, it's like it's no sinister thing. Oh no! You're expecting a gong to go off in the background or something. Taylor Swift, guys, the Swifties. Who else could it be? Who else could it be? We couldn't do this top five and not put her at number one. She was in the news section. She's. Alice's favorite artist, one of. Yeah, I think I, th- I, I can I can get into that if you want me to. Get into Let's that. talk about it. Um, <laughs> you are the Swiftologist, so uh, you talked about fan bases getting a bad rap. Mm-hmm. Swifties, I, I present to you the Swifties, and yes. as a Swiftie, fight your corner. Singer songwriter, country artist turned pop star, ten albums, three re-records, twelve Grammys. It's Taylor Swift. I love that we got an intro. <laughs> that, by the way, just to say at the top, that track record is phenomenal. I know. 12 Grammys, was it 10 albums? 10 albums, three re-records. Three re-records, 12 Grammys. That's nearly averaging one Grammy per release. And was it nine fresh VMAs there two weeks ago? Oh, I don't know. How big is that tote bag to bring them all back? Honestly. Like? I'm sure she has someone for that. <laughs> 
What but, is it about Taylor Swift, Alice, that inspires such devotion and such dedication and such love and passion in both good and bad ways? That is such a good question. Uh, I discovered Taylor Swift when I was 12. Um, and once again, bought a music video on my, <laughs> my iPod. I bought Love Story and I watched it again and again and again. It's a reoccurring theme. Um, yeah... <sighs> It's a weird one, and I'm going to say something really cheesy, but I think I grew up with her. Um, but I I do think I kind of, I got the cheesy teenage pop when I was a teenager, and I got then the kind of, the folklore kind of stuff then into my 20s. So yeah. it kind of, it's been nice to kind of never grow out of her. Just let all lands at to, the right time. Yeah, it's all just, it's all just landed. Um, so I go right back to, te- to 2010 when I went to the Speak Now tour. It did not sell out in the three arena. Wow. That I- is imagine. how long I have been here. And that is Jesus. like, she didn't sell out. But imagine imagine that happening today. Impossible. With support no. from Ryan, Sh- Ryan Sheridan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's box drum. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and hat. Yeah, and hat. hat, man. Yeah. So she didn't sell out the three arena in 2010. What she a did- failure. So right? she didn't even come <laughs> back for the Red Tour. Never came back for the Red Tour. 1989, Three Nights in Three Arena. Reputation, we don't talk about Night 2 in Crow Park. We all, we, 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 uh, we gotta mention something. Did you go? Is there anyone in the room who didn't get offered a ticket to that? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm yes. Gonna put my hand up and say, um, I actually paid for my first night of Reputation and then I went for free the second night. Oh, phenomenal yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very good. You, you deserve it though. You the know. ultimate grift. You're so this is, this is the fan. thing. How do we go from not selling out Crow Park to having to get a waiting list to even try and get a ticket for the Aviva. Like, I, I can't comprehend it. We but talk, Yeah, I, I was trying to get to the bottom of this recently and I was like, I think it's a combination of factors. Like, I think, you know, it's just like social media, I think has played a huge part in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the albums, for whatever reason, have just picked up more steam. Uh, I think there's lore involved as well. And there's also the whole, you know, you talk about community, you talk about fan base, you talk about Swifties. To me, you know, she's such an arch capitalist that, you know, here's my 17 versions of this album and also... It's the I think the gig has somehow become the thing. It's the mm-hmm. experience, and it is that thing about bragging rights. Mm-hmm. If you're not at the fucking show, well, then mm-hmm. you're not a real fan, are yeah. you? And also in 2019, she moved from she was technically an indie artist up until 2019, then moved to Universal, and you can see that sweet, sweet Universal money being pumped into everything from folklore onwards. I feel like in compared to Reputation, which was technically funded by an indie uh, record label and it should be said as well that this show this current tour does look incredible like yeah. it looks like a huge fantastic gigantic yeah. production Money's, money was spent as you're saying yeah Yeah. Um, so do you want to see my really dramatic note as to why I think she's popped off why do you think I invited you on this podcast <laughs> I said that during Covid she gave us so much at a time when we had nothing <laughs> Are you actually getting emotional? I think Alice is, for, the, for the listener, Alice was tearing up on the couch over this. It was beautiful. No, it was that I couldn't get it out. Anyway. It was like watching okay. a TikTok poem in real From time. From 2020 to 2022, we, so two years, okay, we have Folklore Evermore, Folklore Long Pond Studio Sessions, Fearless Taylor's Version, Red Taylor's Version, All Too Well 10 Minute Version, Taylor's Version From the Vault, All Too Well Short Film, Midnight's and the Era's Tour Announcement. Are you not exhausted? Is, she, is Taylor Swift not exhausted? No, she's a robot. That like, th- that's in two years. That's not. To be fair, like that's incre- incredible work. Like so probably my favorite artist to release none of music. Though. But this also bear in mind that during that time she's also then rehearsing for the Eras tour as well. I don't think she needs to because she's currently probably on tour waiting for that other tour to start <sighs> while one finishes. You like know? I'm so exhausted. 
I used to text you and be like, you know, when, are you when, okay? When a release was happening, yeah, I, I text you on a release day and say, are you okay? I've stopped doing it because there's just too. I can't keep yeah, up. Yeah, I know? can't keep up, and that's the thing. Like I, I uh, speak now. Taylor's version came out, and I was playing it for my dad, and he was like, he was singing the words because he was like, because you brought this fucking CD with you everywhere, like the original Aww. in in 2010. Like I could not get into the car without playing it, but I don't know all the words to like all the vault tracks and, and everything because there's been so much I I can't learn all the words yeah you don't have time yeah. Um. so she so it's almost like of course she like it blew up to an unbelievable amount because like something is bound to stick with everyone eventually do you know what I mean there's enough there that someone's going to be like yeah I love that but the, the I do think the tour like I, I just think like the clips of the tour it's a guaranteed like couple of hundred thousand of views on TikTok and that's why people want to go you are going I am going is there any nerves considering that you've seen her all this time all the way through but this feels like the biggest thing I feel what like what secret uh, song am I going to get um, all that kind of what stuff what secret you know? song oh my god thank you yes what secret song <laughs> see even I, I know that <laughs> like <laughs> um yeah I think I think I'm nervous for the come down after because I feel like I'm like, I'm literally constantly like, I'm going to see Taylor Swift in June. I'm going to see Taylor Swift in June. What do I do the day after I go to see Taylor Swift in June? Because I, I have nothing to talk about. Go to like um, a, a health spa or something. I don't know. Just yeah. Like... Um, yeah. TikTok is an interesting one. Um, like, the so- I think even the songs being used on trends on TikTok has like just blown the fan base up as well. And also... Uh, kind of like what we're saying, like fan base accounts. Like I never followed fan base accounts right up until like last year because for the first time ever on TikTok, I'm being fed fan based accounts. So then naturally I'm following them and naturally I'm falling into these rabbit holes of like... Endless content. Oh, oh you know, she's going to release Reputation Taylor's version on this date because she did this thing. Like all these Easter eggs. Like she made the fan base this way because she, like she's, like she's like Marvel like it's that level of easter eggs where it's just like all these teeny tiny things that you are convinced yourself that means that Taylor that reputation Taylor's version is coming out tomorrow yeah <laughs> I think you know based on what you've been saying right and I love the detail about you know not getting into the car without the seat I think that's a very cute story I love that your dad is tormented by that um, and that as a result he is in his own way a Swifty and she's uh, I also love the thing that you said about you know she was there for you at different phases of your life and I assume the albums probably reflected that and gave you a lot uh, but we have to talk about the dark side. Like, you're clearly on the side of the angels. Mm-hmm. That's indisputable. But we have to mention the dark side of Swiftyism because I feel like it's it's so extreme. And I think back to, like, you know, when her album came out and Pitchfork didn't give it a good review. And the reviewer and the, the, the tweet itself, all that you would see underneath this was this bizarre imagery the fans had done where they'd done these weird satanic distorted images of Taylor Swift's face. And it was like something out of a like a like a Japanese horror film. I was mm-hmm. like, "What the fuck is this?" Just that mobilization, and you know, she herself, I think, has been guilty. Obviously, there's the Damon Albarn thing where he said something very stupid in an interview. She called him out on Twitter, and the fans went crazy after him. And she was right to call him out. What he said was dumb, but he did apologize, and she didn't respond to that one. It's kind of like call off your dogs, you know. Mm-hmm. And Adam, I believe you have um, you've pulled something from the vault. You have an anecdote about a Taylor Swift person? Don't use the word vault around a Taylor Swift. 
Don't you have a you have a you, you have some scripture? That oh you've yes, put together, if you yes? allow me. So I was um, Adam, um, who uh, had no idea what I was talking about, <laughs> hadn't a clue, despite being the person this who is, unearthed this, this gem. <laughs> this is me, consummate professional uh, in- reviewer for the show, or whatever. Sorry, researcher for the show. Um, okay, so while I, I was doing my research, I, I I was having a look just at this kind of the Swifty dome, I guess, mm-hmm. and like because I knew about. I I think that like most fandoms are inherently good I will say that uh, uh, kind of off the top but the first thing that comes up when you google Taylor Swift fans and Ooh. I'm oh no or whatever the the um, you know whatever the yeah. thing is that I, I, I googled the first thing that came up was a reddit post yeah. saying I finally left Swifty Twitter and I feel so much better yeah um, so it's from a reddit user called Scarlet Swift 13 and it reads I enjoyed the people I met that were down to earth and nice but they are few and far between it is so toxic there. The mean girl mentality. The mean girl mentality rules. The people who act like celebrities because they have lots of followers for, slash have met Taylor. The constant gossip. The way Swifties will attack anyone who has any difference of opinion, and the constant competition on who the biggest fans are. It's icky. I found myself feeling like I needed to buy every piece of merch. Needed to be able to go to a bunch of concerts I can't afford, and to be doing the absolute most to feel like a fan. It made being a fan stressful instead of fun. Deleted Twitter and felt like a cloud just lifted from around me. Ten out of ten. Don't recommend Swifty Twitter. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, I do want to say that we're not trying to like be like, "What about this?" You know, like this is obviously terrible because it's such a widespread thing. But there is that element. There is that element that is genuinely like, you yeah. know, what the fuck's going on here? So yeah, no, hundred percent. And like, but I suppose like I'm a Swifty though, and I'm not, I don't have fan. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like people like that are always going to make their voices exactly really really heard and that's my that was my point i think everyone is like inherently good but i suppose the it rises to the top and, and the loudest the loudest people you know what and I mean? then when it's so competitive to get tickets like even i was like so for us to get tickets four of us are going to the eras tour all four of us um put our name down for a pre-sale link in Lisbon, Hamburg and Dublin. And we got our partners to do that too and I got some friends to do it too. So we had 14 opportunities to get pre-sale links or just sale links and we got four. We got one Dublin one out of the 14 of us. Out of the, out of the yeah, we got one. We had one chance to get a Dublin ticket. We, I queued in Hamburg for like four hours, couldn't get us tickets. The other girls queued in Lisbon for like six hours, couldn't get us tickets. I was like, there's no way we're going. Like, there's no way we go. And then we we didn't get them Dublin first time around. We got them Dublin second time around. Like, and that I think that's, it's so frustrating to go from like, being at the not sold out three arena to like not being able to get a ticket. I didn't have a single pre-save link. I had to use someone else's. And it's like, on top of that, again, if you if you bought a physical copy of the Midnight's album from her store or something, you got a link. And I was like, well, I didn't know that. But then also it's like, but I streamed it. Like, how was that not so enough? So again, like, you know how I mean? do you feel about that level of, I referred earlier on to arch capitalism. I always come back to the Malibu Stacey thing where it's like, it's Malibu Stacey with a new hat and we have to have it. <laughs> and she does, you know, in my opinion, she does milk the fan base. She does exploit them. Yeah. yeah Young, like, impressionable fan base. Here's, here's a sudden new announcement of another deluxe edition or a new EP or something. And you, you, here's like, you know, some merch. I'm not saying don't make money. I'm not saying don't have merch. It feels like overkill to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the issue I have with it. It's almost in K-pop levels because like like I said about K-pop, the entire industry is consumer-led. Mm. And it's like, how do we shop this to the fans? How do we like, you know, how do we get the fans to buy in more? It feels like that's what Taylor's doing. And like, 
it like people are drinking the Kool Aid. Like, what, what, what point is what enough? Point, enough? Yeah, exactly. Are, I don't think Irish fans are. I think American fans are. Um, I just always come back to. I keep going on about this Speak Now tour, but I remember my dad had O2 pre save pre sale or whatever. And I was in my junior sir, and I was like, they go on sale at nine. It was like a Wednesday. And then he collected me from school and he's like, yeah, I got those tickets like a quarter past nine. And like, that was it. And they were like 40 there was no, quid. No there drama. was no like stress. Yeah. There was nothing. And like, I honestly, like whatever about me and my friends all trying and like, you know, skiving off work to try and get our tickets <laughs> or whatever. But like, I don't know how you do this if you have a kid. And and like, you know, no one's entitled to tickets or whatever. But I also think that it's a really nice thing to get to go to shows as like a child or whatever. And I just think it's really hard. I just think it's really, really hard. Um, and I think it's just a bit messed up. But she has given you so much. Last question before we wrap this up. Um, is Olivia Rodrigo the new Taylor Swift? I think Sabrina Carpenter is. Okay. Yeah. Just because um, in that kind of similar way whereby, you know, Taylor had like, you know, five or six albums before she was kind of mainstream. Sabrina's kind of the same. Sabrina Carpenter's like five albums. So I think she has that more kind of like um, a slow burn kind of thing about her. And then I'm sure Olivia's debut album was like, you know, like number one and stuff. So I think it's kind of two different things. One to watch. And uh, thank you, by the way, for this. This was an education for, from all different angles, I think. I think. From, on behalf of us all, thanks to each and every one of us sitting here yeah, in this Yeah, we room. all did a great job. Um, Alice's new single, Slowly Sinking Into You, is out right now. She is a big star on TikTok, so if you're on TikTok, go follow her. Yeah. I won't be because I'm not on it. But if I was, <laughs> I of course would. And um, yeah, I, when is the Taylor Swift show coming up? The next oh, year, right? June yeah, next year, yeah, I think, like right? June. Okay. I should know the date. Yeah, well, if we don't hear from you before then, I, I want a full report on my desk <laughs> the next day. Alice Karen, everybody, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me talk about Taylor Swift, always. This is, I, I wouldn't know who else to call, you know? <laughs> But when it comes to putting together an episode about intense fandoms, I know exactly who to call. <laughs> that man's name is Sonic Architect Adam, of who I am a devoted fan. Well, so. and let me tell you, I'm a devoted fan of this podcast myself. But uh, yeah, you're going to have to forgive me for a couple of my flubs there where That's I forgot what I mean. immediately it, listen, what I was talking I'm, about. I'm also, I'm, it, may, it may have uh, struck you over the last two hours, listener, but uh, I'm dying of a cold yet again. So, you know, forgive us. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a difficult time. It's almost October. Yeah. <laughs> the scariest month right uh, we have a good line of people coming up soon uh, next week I think we're doing uh, let's just say it, we're doing top 5 diss tracks next week we were yep. supposed to do it last time a few months ago great. a few weeks ago but uh, circumstances did not prevail but we'll be tuning in for that one Alice Kiernan thank you so much again thank you much love uh, best of luck with everything especially going to Taylor Swift shows always swift responsibly that's what I say my name is Dave Hanratty this has been No Encore there will be No Encore goodbye goodbye